squeeze it there. Broadhurst down, Bound still pumping punches into it. That's a big Oh, it is a miracle! The play continues. They could sidestep on a trip and win this line. Good one. A smack their bottoms. 40-20. It's a 40-20. It's there. Hits the crossbar. You won't see anything like that again this year. And maybe never. Digging up dead football. It's the Rugby League Cemetery. It does not get any better than that. Yes, this is the Rugby League Cemetery and very good to have you with us for another instalment of this journey. Uh, and we are looking today at 1996, the 8th of July, 1996, in fact, Sydney City. Isn't it a beautiful thing to say Sydney City Roosters? Sydney City Roosters 12, Brisbane Broncos 10 in front of 35,075 people at the Sydney Football Stadium on a Monday night, no less. The, re- the glorious return, dare I say, of Monday night football after nine years in the wilderness of rugby league scheduling. Uh, and that's the game we're looking at today, a famous game both for the fact that it was a Monday nighter, for the fact that there were 35,000 people at Moore Park on a Monday night, and also for the extraordinary ending in which the Roosters uh, win the game on the siren thanks to a 20-metre penalty in front of the posts occasioned by an incorrect tap. Uh, the, a strong contender for the most ridiculous, uh, the most anticlimactic and yet climactic uh, and extraordinary finish to a rugby league game in recorded history. We'll get through all of that later, but Gazzy, uh, I got the sense that you enjoyed watching this quite a lot. Thrilled. This was the game of every game we've done that I enjoyed watching the most. Wow. Um you know, like there's obviously been a there's a couple of games that you could say theoretically were were better, just in the the abstract of what happens. I suppose, like you know, you got the '89 Grand Final and you got the greatest game ever played in the Great Britain and Australia Test. But but this was a combination where everything, in the words of Cooper Cronk, like all the sinews just came together for me because you just had the era is perfect. Now, I know it's a Monday night, but it, it very much comes across with that electric charge of Friday night footy in the nineties that you'll remember very well growing up when you turned it on and, and fatty and Sturlo and, um, you know, rabs are on and blockers in the sideline and, you know, dries a bone talking about oh, the man. forwards. When, <laughs> Blocker, when Blocker appeared on the screen for the first time, mm. it just, it sends it, it sends an electric current through my body to say Blocker <laughs> in the mid nineties just hulking in one of those Dryzerbone jackets. There's just nothing better. I know, I know. And, and but, but that, that their commentary is at the peak of their sort of yes. jocular mid-90s things going on. Uh, the football played is such so good. I mean, Brisbane were a very exciting team as it was. And then you've got um, a really, like, I think I'd forgotten, and I'm sure a lot of people have, of sort of Gus Gould pre-megalomania, like when he was just a football coach. Like the elaborate... Mm way that East are playing in this game, this gust ball of like, it, it's all wild, long passing, long passing, and then weird changes of angles and shifting back under. All, all this, it was a really like, you could sort of see it when he, when he went into management, he gets in his own head sometimes because he changes the plan every five minutes and it seems very elaborate and it's all sort of constructed to go somewhere eventually, but you're not really sure when. And you can see that in how they play in this game, East, that everything is so elaborate and fancy and sort of just the opposite of that sort of kick, and with, kick it where the seagulls are, sort of Gibson Bennett mantra. Totally. He, he's, East. He's, he's very much in the Tim Sheen's mould of just 
really mad, elaborate rugby league. Um, you can see it in the tries. The way they score them is just like fake dummy kicks and long shifts and, and angle changes and everyone playing their role in it. And it's it's just beautiful. Um, Andrew Walker's playing, which which pretty much takes any – it takes any six to a nine. Oh. Like it turns a game. Can I just say, I, oh. I saw him. I knew that he was in this game and I knew mm. that he – the minute I saw him get the ball, I, he's just one of those players. There's something about him. You just have to lean forward when he gets the ball. He didn't really, particularly in the first half, he didn't do that much. But just every time he got the ball, like, oh, here we go, here we go. Like, he's, yeah. just, he's got this beautiful athleticism and uh, spark, and he was always throwing dummies and stepping and all of this. It just, um, and, you know, quite a lot of dummy kicking, which is a thing <laughs> that's gone out of the game and yeah. which is lamented by me. I don't know about anyone else. Uh, me as well, um, you know, I, I, the last, uh, mainly for me because Leo Dinever was really big for it. Like every second highlight of Leo Dinever in '97 is a dummy kick, and I, I, I've always got him put down as the last great repeated dummy kicker. Uh, yeah. Adam Reynolds does it very occasionally. You know, I never fail to spot it when he does. Uh, but yeah. Andrew Walker was a king of it. So I, I guess in a, in a very, there's no science to that answer. It's just there's some beautiful all-time tries scored in this game. There's, it's the perfect commentary team. It's the perfect time. Um, it, it, all round, I just loved it. I loved it yeah. to death. Oh, it was fantastic. And you're right about that. You're so right about that. But this was the peak kind of Channel 9. Like Rabs is at the peak of his era where he would just erupt in the like in the middle of in the middle of the game something would happen, and he'd go oh big tackle you know yeah. it was that era. <laughs> yeah. stop doing that by the time we'd grow by the time we were kind of even in even in our teens he sort of stopped doing that big oh sound <laughs> it's, it's the shame isn't it isn't it oh <laughs> but this is stop? the peak of the of the sudden rise when somebody got smashed it was always when someone got absolutely belted he, he does it a few times in this game. I, I was just thinking that one of his great things is his knowing when to rise. And mm. sometimes something doesn't even necessarily happen, but there's a threat that it might, and he'll go up. Like someone will just come onto the ball really hard, that someone has just come onto it harder than normal, and he'll be like, Thorn! And then it doesn't actually go through. But like yeah. hey, Rab sees that, that something a bit out of the mundane and ordinary flow of the game is, is happening and just goes, up and rises with it, and then suddenly you you find yourself looking at the screen and going, "Hang on, what's happening here?" And you really get up with it as well. You go, "Geez, yeah. that was a good run." He sort of brings you there before you see it. Sometimes, yeah. We we watched regular listeners will know that we watched eighty six, uh, and Rabs is a very different Rabs to what we hear here, and he doesn't do much of any of that sort of thing. But this is the this is the this is the the best version. I have to say, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the whole Monday night football thing in the mid nineties. We're going to talk a little bit about the, the roosters before and after this game. And then of course we're going to go through the game itself and talk about some of the mad stuff that happens. Cause it is, it is as Gazzy says at times quite helter skelter. Uh, we should start, I suppose, by talking about Monday night football. Uh, it had had a bit of a run in the eighties, kind of 85 to 87 on channel 10. And some of that is very well known. All the kind of whack of the emu carry on from the mid eighties. Uh, and then all of a sudden it reappears in the middle of the season in nineteen ninety six. This is this match, as I said, is on the eighth of July. The decision to start holding games on Monday nights again, and not just matches, but big matches with a lot of promotion and the pick of the weekend, was only made in the middle of June, which is just the most rugby league administration in the nineties thing. That they could make this enormous decision, completely changing the way that they were going to promote the game. 
and made it and did it within about three weeks. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, there were several you know, sort of massive decisions that they really needed to make that they didn't make for 15 years. <laughs> like, yes. On the other foot. Um, it, it is a bit, isn't it? It, it's, it strikes me that without having looked into it a lot, that this was probably some sort of thumbing of the nose at Super League, mm-hmm. um, who were, you know, bringing in a product that's supposed to be, you know, entertainment into the game and modernizing it in the new era and all of this sort of stuff is I, I imagine part of this was trying to get something a bit hip and cool going. Yeah. Um, you know, that they'd, they'd branded on the traditional image and all of that sort of stuff, which was fair enough. But I, I suspect they sort of wanted to have something that was a bit out there and a bit, bit different um, to get there. And, you know, it, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because it's just, a, it's just a game played on another night. Yeah. If this had been played on a Friday, which it would otherwise have been. Uh, it, I mean, who's to say there's no reason to think 35,000 people would have turned up? Not according to the home numbers on any no. of the Sydney games. Uh, so why did they go? What is it in the, yeah. in the human nature to get a bit deep with you that meant if you just said this is Monday night football, why did more people go? I, I, I don't understand. understand. That's, a, that's really a, that's a sociological question. Yeah. yeah, that's that's one for your kind of Tversky's and Kahneman's and all of them. But I, what I, because you're, you're so right. Like it's the same game. Uh, and it's actually a less convenient time because you have to go to work the next day. Uh, yeah. th- I did not realise quite how this came about. I want to share this with you uh, mm. from the uh, Sydney Morning Herald, June 14, 1996, uh, from Steve Mascord. Sunday football is to disappear from free-to-air television under a radical proposal to be instituted by the Australian Rugby League from next month. Executive Chairman Ken Arthurson confirmed last night details of the plan which will leave Sunday TV football-free for the first time since the early 1970s. If the idea mooted by Channel 9 is rubber-stamped by the league board, the final Sunday game will be on June 30. From then, the best match of the round will be shown on Monday night, the second best on Friday, third best on Saturday, and Sunday games will only be available on pay TV. Arthurson said, It is true that Sunday night football was a tradition, but in the last couple of years there has been plenty of controversy because of the edited 43-minute highlights package. Channel 9 had great difficulty showing more because of their news and 60 minutes, and this was suggested to us as a way around that. (laughs) What sort of limit do you place on how much someone can swear, do you think, on this podcast? Because fair dinkum, I I hate Channel 9. I fucking hate them. I hate them so much. But you've made I haven't read I heard that before and you've made me very angry. Yeah. But here's a solution to the forty three minute package. Just show the whole game. Just show the whole game. Like seriously, just show it on the Sunday. Like you don't need to move it to another night. Like, who cares what time sixty minutes is on? Show sixty yeah. minutes anytime. And I, so mean, I think I think you've this got is... all of Sunday to show the game. Does the game have to start at four? Like if you wanted to get everything in, could you not start the game at Three and make it live or whatever. Why well, don't he say Sunday night football? I wonder if oh, Sunday what, night, what, right. what was going on here. I, I think mm. what might have gone on here is that the matches were shown in the evening on a Sunday. That it was a forty-three right, minute so it was played packaging. live. Yeah, well, show um, it live. Show the whole thing live. Yeah. No, the match was played in the afternoon, but yeah. the, but the match was shown on TV yeah, so in the evening. Show it live. Who would have thought? Show it live. Yeah, show it live. Show it live. Or do it to like if it's going to take you. If yeah, it just it's extraordinary. I um, forty three minute highlights package of a first grade game in, is, not, in the mid nineties. Isn't it so 
So, well, in today's age, it must be so hard to try and tell a young person that has social media and all this stuff yeah. the obsession like that people had with like not being able to move the six o'clock news and stuff. Like, and you had to cut out of the cricket and the football and stuff to get to the six o'clock news. Like in this day and era where the news doesn't contain anything and the only thing it contains is something we all knew six hours ago. Mm. Um, I mean, just take the other day, we're just after the Queen dying, right? I mean, who found out about that on the NBN News or Channel 9 News at 6pm? Like we all, we all knew it when we got yeah. woke up, picked up our phone and it was up. But in that era, it, it, there, was, there was a generation of people that like were glued to it. And, and it, it it just, it caused just absolute bedlam with sports coverage for no reason and one of them's live and one of them isn't going anywhere but yeah. what, what I, if it, what if the people on channel nine found their news out at six thirty? yeah I, what I would happen an, i can't answer that uh i don't have an answer to that i, I hate it, channel nine so much i, I hate, certainly i hate nine them. in the packer era oh. the, the, the packer era nine is just diabolical for this there are so many examples that just we've uncovered in doing this podcast of wacky things happening, matches being moved, highlights packages being shown in lieu of matches, all this sort of stuff. Um, they they got the rights, and then you know, and Packer uh, paid paid up to get the rights, although not as much as he probably should have. And this is what he did with it, you know, like this is what they this is what they do. This is extraordinary. Um, and so the only reason that we have a full uh, copy of this game, for, for lack of a better word. The reason we have a full tape of this match is because it was the Monday night game and they they showed it in full. Um, because otherwise it would have been a 43-minute highlights package between the news and 60 minutes. I bet you it still wasn't shown live. No, I very much doubt it. It would yeah, have been 8.30 or something, yeah. It is. It's just pathetic. It, it's... um. It's it's one of those things is that like the the glorification of Kerry Packer as a businessman mm. is it, just totally <laughs> belies the fact that, that the entirety of their model was that nobody had any choice. Like nobody had Fox, but like, nobody mm. had pay TV and nobody had smartphones and the internet. And the smartphones didn't exist without the internet. So like you had no choice but to put up with his like his dumb decisions that totally didn't maximize the th- the shows and things he had at his disposal. You just had no alternative. So it was 43 minutes of that or nothing because, I mean, my house, we had the ABC and Channel 9. Literally, that's all we had till about 11. Then we, we, we got seven for the Olympics and Channel 10. But if you had all of them, you had four TV stations yeah. to watch. So, I mean, it's not all that clever that they made money out of showing the rugby league, right? It doesn't take any particular talent. No. They, they just they, they were terrible with it. They, in fact, I don't know how they could have done a worse job of showing yeah. it and and oh, it I can really tell you how they me. would I'm glad you I'm glad you said that Gazzy. I can tell you how they could have done a worse job showing it uh let me take you to uh the, the 30th of June 1996 and the Sun Herald uh Ray Hadley is poised to call rugby league for the nine network the rumor mill had <laughs> Hadley calling Monday night football starting tomorrow week <laughs> we put that to chief caller Ray Warren who hadn't heard about Hadley calling in any capacity but Warren later called back to say channel 9 had assured him he would call the Monday game and that Hadley will call the Saturday TV game. Uh, so oh. there you go. It could have been worse. Could have been well, worse. Well, it wouldn't have been, been my favourite game of all time if Uncle Ray had called it. Jesus. Like, yeah. That would have been absolutely terrible. So did this? Did they end up canning Sunday TV that year? I don't yeah, remember. They, they, that's what they, they did. did. They got rid I of... I remember it. Yeah. Okay. So they got rid of the Sunday TV game and replaced it with Monday Night Football um, and put the best game on Monday night for the rest of the season. Yeah. Yeah. So to avoid putting a 43 minute highlights package on they moved the best game of the week off the weekend mm-hmm. yeah do. and put it on during the week yeah fantastic mm-hmm. really sensible thinking yeah the proof is in the pudding though 
um, because uh, everyone, uh, according to the SMH on the 10th of July, everybody was a winner when regular Monday night football got off to a strange start on television. Mm. Channel 7 was a winner because Sister Act, the 1992 Whoopi Goldberg movie, <laughs> rather remarkably won the night with its third Sydney screening. <laughs> <laughs> While the Roosters-Broncos game clearly gave Nine a handsome lift in league audience compared with the one-hour Sunday highlights package. Uh, So, sure, on the one hand, good news. Ratings went up compared to Sunday highlights. Bad news was they'd lost to a a repeat of a Whoopi Goldberg film. Oh, Uh, yeah, but I think that's a pretty... I mean, come on. I mean, I think you're putting up um, unreasonable standards if you think they're going to beat Whoopi on a Monday night. What are you doing? Ain't no mountain high enough. Uh, 34.7% of the viewing audience was Sister Act, Sister Act oh. on Channel 7, by the way. But that tells you, I think that goes to my point about choice. Yeah. Like the fact that 34% of the people watching television were watching Whoopi Goldberg in an era that more people were watching television because there wasn't anything else to do. Um, yeah. Sort of goes to my point of, of, of what a different time it is. But yeah, I, look, I, I don't think the league would have set unrealistic goals. I think getting this sort of, you know, even in, in the conversation with Whoopi would have been enough. Yeah, I think that's right. I can also exclusively reveal that uh, the figures were much better than the Sunday night replays have enjoyed in recent weeks. In the final eight weeks of Sunday League replay, Nine's best performance was on May 19 with an average of 469,000 viewers and a 26.3 audience share on the night. It has not won its slot all season. Regularly going down to Channel 10's Gazzy, Channel, Channel 10's breezy sitcom, The Nanny. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know they showed the nanny on Sundays. It was always a weekday show when I was watching it, but it's it's good to see it. Sunday nights on Channel 10, the nanny beating the football in the ratings. Uh, Very good stuff. Uh, This is the the parallel universe that the 1990s was. I think the Uh, nanny was showing in full, though. They weren't showing an edited highlights package. It's not a fair comparison. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been good. An edited highlights package of the nanny would have just been, oh, Mr. Sheffield. Over yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd watch that. <laughs> I would too. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to end up here. Oh, I can Fran. Good on you, Fran. No, never, never <laughs> forgotten. Never forgotten. Uh, Fran Fine. The nanny. Yeah. Uh, it, just from that, that Ray Hadley article, by the way, this is completely unrelated to what we're talking about, but I couldn't not read it out. Uh, it seems Noel Crusher-Cleal is a busy man, even when he's not coaching a Fijian national side. The Eels have presented him with a loaded checkbook to sign the best junior talent in the game. And it seems that Crusher is getting writer's cramp. Quote, every week we spot a player, there's Crusher writing out checks on the spot, said a rival club's player scout. We go to talk to them and then he comes out with a big check. He paid $30,000 for a kid the other day and got him on contract before we could act. That's in 1996. Fairly good bickies on uh, 30 grand. Uh, I just thought you'd want to know that, that no, in the mid-90s, Crusher Cleal was going around just eyeballing. Um, Do we know of any of these checks, like, cashed? Like, when you put them in, how many, how many of these checks bounced? I tell you what, that'd be a great where are they now. Uh, yeah. I'd love, to, I'd love to, to see what happened to all the kids signed by Crusher in that era. Uh, anyhow, I could... <laughs> it's good stuff, but... Uh, I can also tell you that uh, the, the, the rugby league in 1996 was in such a dire state, Gazzy, that the Roosters found themselves trying to piggyback off the AFL because the Swans uh, made the grand final in 1996, were going very well. And their original plan before this move match was moved to Monday 
was for the Swans v Geelong match at the SCG to precede the Roosters v Brisbane. And the Roosters were hoping that people leaving the SCG would pop into the SFS to catch the rugby league. Doesn't yeah. that, isn't that remarkable? Mm. Yeah, it is, yeah. There was a very big Swans mania at that time. It sort of, they sort of took off and started going well and, and, and had sort of plugger and everything at exactly the time that the Super League War really pushed a lot of people away. Yeah. Um. So it's sort of it, it. It's funny looking back on it. Though. You look back compared to today, where it's sort of AFL just is in its own universe now. We know it's there, and the Swans are successful, but they're not a particular threat to the Sydney League sides, and the union has completely fallen apart. But if you go back into the, the mid nineties, when when we were at our lowest ebb as a game, mm. rugby union, the Super Twelve had, had kicked off and become quite trendy for sort of inner city wankers to go to that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like would go there and say they're at the Waratahs and probably a similar group of people were going to the Swans as yeah. well. Like people going, you know, they just didn't take the league and everything. So they sort of went to that. And it was a, there's a period there where it wasn't all that clear that probably rugby league was going to come out as strongly as it ends up doing. Well, let me tell you, I, I know in, like I know in my head that this code Wars stuff is dumb and mm. that I shouldn't get bothered by it. But Whenever I read something like this, it angers up my blood. Mm. <laughs> like I really do. And when I like, if I'm driving in a rugby league area and see AFL posts up, it really winds me up. I go, no, 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 this is no good. Like this shouldn't be happening. No, I, I'll back, I'll the, back the, you. The idea of rugby league having to try and leech supporters off the AFL for Sydney versus the Broncos in 1996 is repugnant to me. Uh, it's a it's a sad state of affairs, and I'm glad that we're no longer that the game is no longer in such a parlous state. Yeah, I, I'll agree with that. I'm funny with that stuff too. I I'm try to not care, but find myself deeply caring. Likewise, like, like yeah. I, I, I'm actually not a sports fan. Um, I I hate other sports because mm. <laughs> out of a con- I only watch like I like cricket, but I only like rugby league, and like I won't watch other sports, and I won't put them on. And if people talk about them, I'm like, it's not as good as rugby league. I just can't help myself. Mm. Like I don't like them. I'm not someone who has all these other teams. I, I don't like those other codes, and I don't like them. And all I look at them is say, you're not as good as rugby league, and this is boring, and why rugby league's better. Yeah. Um, and I know that's dumb. Yeah. Uh, no basis, in fact, but uh, it's just a, a, a prejudice I've been born with, and and I hope will never go away. <laughs> no, absolutely right. Um, AFL get nodded. That's the message from the rugby league cemetery. Uh, meanwhile, just a couple more tidbits about Monday Night Football mm. before we move on to uh, the game itself. Just one thing that I did have to mention from my my, my looking into this. Uh, for years, Australian Rugby League Chief Executive John Quayle has been an opponent of legalised gambling on football. But this weekend, his fears will be greater than ever thanks to the combination of Monday Night Football and a record $2 million footy tab dividend pool. Uh, just a quote from he, Quayle's concern was that the gap between the last game on Sunday and then the Monday game would mm. lead to a lot of people betting, like doing kind of cheap, like crafty bets to uh, cover the spread. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, but he, he said there would be pressure on players about, you know, match fixing and this sort of thing. And he said, and I want to read you this quote, and I will just leave it there. All this gambling does the game no good. It just causes gossip and undermines the credibility of the game. Why use a team sport to increase the turnover of another organisation? Mm. Um, lucky well, luckily, they sorted that out, isn't it? Isn't yeah, it? well, luckily we've gone down the high road and very much kept uh, gambling and its uh, insidious influence out of this, out of sport generally and particularly rugby league. Thank you very much, Points Bet Stadium. 
Yes, exactly. Thankfully, now in 2022, we don't have to worry about that anymore. It's all been taken care of. Gambling is over there. Rugby league is over here. Yeah, and and never the never the twain shall meet. Yes. Yeah. Um, Joel Kane. <laughs> yes, gamble responsibly. Uh, I should also tell you that for this particular game, uh, they promised more live music, fireworks, giveaways, and a record of some sort to be set at each venue during the halftime break. For the first Monday Night Football, they tried to break the world record for the biggest, or the Australian record, for the biggest rock jam in Australian history. 250 <laughs> musicians playing Smoke on the Water. How does that sound different to one person playing Smoke on the Water? Apart from being louder. And like less, um, and sort of distorted because they're not in time. Yeah, I don't know. Why is the crowd bigger because of that? Like, how does that... Oh, Look, all I can say about all of that is when, whenever... <laughs> Uh, all I can say is E squared. This is sounding yeah, well like David Smith E squared. Jumping Castle Nation, baby. Values, yes. It, it, it has that vibe to it. Um, <laughs> see, this this stuff just doesn't get me. Like I, like when when you come up with when you come up with something flashy, I am automatically suspicious of it. Like the fact that I would go anyway, and they go, but we're going to have a music act on, and this is going to happen, just makes me think effort. I don't want to go. Yeah. No, no, this is just now flashy nonsense, and you're trying to cash in. I don't know what it is. Like, it's just, it, like, it really bothers me because I, I also, I don't, like, every year this bothers me in the grand final when people start pissing on about why it isn't cold chisel and why, why it's Jessica Marboy or why it isn't Jessica Marboy and it's some international act and whatever it is. I'm always like, who cares? Like, on what basis does it have any impact on your enjoyment of what fundamentally is a game of rugby league, which you either like or you don't like? Yeah. And have you ever come home and thought, Geez, it was a pretty good day. The game was all right, and geez, the, the musical act was good. But go to if you want to see that, go to a band. Go watch them play. Let me tell you something, Gazzy. I, I can speak on this with particular credibility because I was at the grand final that Richie Sambora played at. So, um, <laughs> I, I, and the answer is no. It was a fantastic game, and I never the the the, the pre match entertainment uh, didn't change that whatsoever. Uh, the 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 appearance of Richard Wilkins on the field before kickoff was just a just a sweetener. Uh, yeah. Just a couple more quotes from the Monday Night Football promoter. Optus Vision. The MNF Monday Night Football promoter Peter Metzner said, Weekends are for families, but on Monday night, we've got to be a bit more rough and ready. We've got the Angels playing on a stage under the scoreboard at one end of the stadium on Monday for 15 or 20 minutes, not miming on some flimsy, flimsy demountable platforms for three minutes. Um, so that's good. Uh, and yeah. we'll, well, I take it back, everything I just said, I'm in. But also, we'll do all the normal things, like kicking footballs in the crowd as well. The idea is to make it brassy. <laughs> yeah. Can I say, when did Monday night become like rock and roll party? Like everyone's going to the start of the work. What are you going to get to work the next day? Yeah, yeah, you've been to work as well. Like you, you've come from work, dragged yourself home to drag the kids into a stadium that has no public, tra- like no decent public transport, and you're out there to to, uh, to rock and roll on a Tuesday on a Monday night and heading to work the next day. It just strikes me as odd. The whole thing strikes me as odd. Like, this is surely set up for a Friday night, right? Yeah, I would have thought so. I mean, like, I've lost count of the number of times I've turned up to work on a Tuesday morning in the same clothes from the night before. Because, yeah. you know, I've been out been out having a rager on a Monday night. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. But it's, it's just been... giving me mad Jager bomb vibes. I feel like this would be like a sort of event <laughs> you need to be like, and next thing they're going to be saying, now we're doing free Jager bombs in the crowd and everything. Yeah, you're talking. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have... <laughs> 
But then the next week, so a couple of weeks later, so that game that we did from 96, that West versus North game from Campbelltown yeah. with the Andrew Willis field goal, that's a Monday night football game, mm. as we discussed at the time, I think. But Peter Metzner on that occasion said, <laughs> it's superb. I think you've just got to have new ideas. You put a band on, you put some other promotion on, you give people a reason to go and talk about it. Uh, he said, mm. so that that's all fine. He said, well... Triple M have this big rock and roll thing at the moment, like no more techno or rap. It's good to say they've stuck with that for 27 years, by the way. Yeah. Um, you know, no more techno or rap, just chisel. Uh, so at Campbelltown on Monday, we're exchanging rap and dance CDs for free tickets. Right. So if you turn up with, you know, I don't know, um, Kylie Minogue Locomotion um, or... I don't know, a, a rap album from that era, I suppose, you know, you might that might have been in the, say, Biggie Smalls era. Uh, yeah. You turn up with that, hand it over, they'll give you a ticket to the game. At halftime, we're going to set fire to all the CDs. <laughs> there's been a great... <laughs> there's, there's been a great response. But it's, everyone's, it's everyone's parents. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, man. Just Sensational. Life burning of rap CDs. That's rap and dance music. No more techno, no more rap, no more oh, dance. We're just going to light them up on the halfway line. What I don't know. Conflicting in your house if you had to chuck in your M&M CD to get a ticket to Monday Night Football. Oh, I don't just, know what to do. It's magnificent. Magnificent. Oh, um, God. I've got one more. I promise we're going to talk about the game in yeah. a minute, listeners. I promise. But I've got one more for you. I've got to read you this a bit of this Roy Masters editorial from August about the success of Monday Night Football. Mm. Um, this is from the 19th of August, 1996, in the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, Roy Masters believes old-fashioned male bonding is the reason for its success. Uh, <laughs> here he goes. Monday Night Football has returned the core rugby league supporter to the code. Male, working class, single, game savvy, living in the <laughs> suburbs, a beer drinker who wants to, wants to watch sport with his mates. There are still plenty of school children, families and businessmen who attend MNF matches, but the overwhelming demographic is working class men aged 18 to 25. The crowds at MNF have shown that the Tina Turner campaign may have blown itself out. The TT campaign attempted to woo women to the game, particularly the eastern and southern suburbs yuppie set. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're over at the SCG watching the Swans. But the lovely leather-legged ladies with their fluttery, littered looks don't seem to be in Bay 13 at the Sydney Football Stadium or sipping Chardonnay in the Michael Cronin stand at Parramatta Stadium anymore, uh, which is just sensational. But uh, heading out to Campbelltown tonight, he says the evidence is that MNF has attracted supporters from opposite ends of the socioeconomic scale with only the middle class staying away. Heading out to Campbelltown tonight will be a small fleet of limousines full of businessmen intent on watching the Magpies play the Bears. An interested observer will be a man from the Clinton administration, a guest of ad man John Singleton. <laughs> I was about to say, when you uh, said, as soon as you said there was businessmen in limousines, I was like, there's, like it's just going to be Singo, isn't it? Like, that's, yeah. like, but for all the, that's who it will be. I'm so glad that it was. Yeah. Singleton is a West supporter and usually transports a tranche of businessmen to MNF games or Magpie matches. Interestingly, the suits plunge themselves down, uh, desperately down market. Singleton said, <laughs> after the game at Campbelltown, we go down to the freezing cold tent for presentations to players. Then we go to the Magpie Bar underneath the stand for a drinkathon. Then we go to Campbelltown Leagues Club for a beautiful supper of toasted spaghetti sandwiches. 
Try and get those toasted sangers at any other club in Sydney. Uh, He's not wrong. Yeah. So can I just say, if anything was if anything was going to attract people, can you imagine this bloke from the Clinton White House <laughs> <laughs> ferried out to Cameltown, West against the Bears, sees the Andrew Willis field first game, right, game rugby league ever said, sees sees the Andrew Willis field goal on full time, and the crowd rushing the field, and then rushed off by Singo. To the to the Leagues Club for a toasted spaghetti sanger. <laughs> oh, God the Almighty! Only, the only thing I want to call you up there, on or, or pull you up on there, is I think whenever you say John Singleton, uh, you have to say ad man or advertising guru, jo- yeah. John Singleton. Yeah, you're right um, about that. Yeah, I, I, it, it sort of goes hand hand in hand together. But but yeah, it's it's so funny. I'd love to do this way the businessmen were, and whether any of them ever came back. I love the I love Roy Masters' guide to demography. Like yeah, every, everyone except the middle class are going. Like yeah, and that's, just, a, that's a good thing. And that's a good thing. Like it all gets stuffed. That's right. <laughs> it just it sent me off my head when I read uh, Monday Night Football and old fashioned male bonding is sensational. I, yeah, yeah. It's hard, it's hard to sort of back off any of that. Yeah, I thought so. Uh, anyway, that's all. That's just all things I had to share, and I I mm. I, I feel it was entirely necessary. Um, we should talk about this match. Uh, the Roosters came into this game. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on the Roosters coming into this season and into this match. Uh, they had won the premierships, of course, in 74 and 75. And since 1980, had only made the finals five times. The last time they'd made the finals was 1987 when they made the prelim. And since 87, they had come 12th, 12th, 14th, 10th, 6th, 8th, 14th and 10th or ninth, depending on whether you count the Warriors, who had two points docked. Uh, so they were, it's fair to say, not strong uh, and in a very bad era. Mm. And Gus had taken over in 95. They'd fallen short of making the finals. But having made it five times in 15 years, they started 96 with 10 wins in a row and then had lost three in a row to come into this game against Brisbane uh, in July. They had only beaten Brisbane, since Brisbane came into the comp in 88, they'd beaten them once in 10 games uh, coming into this one. Uh, and, I, and I mention all of that for two One, I guess, to show the significance of this game and how unusual it was that the Roosters were competing with the Broncos and giving them all this trouble and eventually winning the game. But also, it just reminds you that the Roosters that we know now that are this powerhouse, enormous, strong club that are in the finals every year and really, really... Um, a really big threat almost every season. Th- th- that is not the historical position. And prior to 1996, they were nothing like that. And this is where it all starts. And from 96, they made it nine years in a row, from 96 to 04, made the grand final four times in the prelim twice, won the comp, of course, in 2002. And from there, from 96 onwards, so they, they made the finals five times in 15 years, and then they have, they missed it they missed it six times in twenty seven years. Yeah, probably the most they're probably the most successful club in the competition. Um, in the NRL era, in, in my view. I mean, you might find a better record, but in terms of a team that how consistently they are challenging for the competition, like how many years you go into where you think they might win it, um, they'd be up there right at the top. Um, 
that of course coincides with Brad Fittler getting there. Gus gets there the year before and Brad Fittler comes in. So that's really the start of it. And Nick Politis is early in his career. So those are probably the three things. Politis gets a lot of credit and quite rightly, but probably Gould and um, Fittler aren't quite getting what they're due there either is I think um, Brad Fittler played in such successful sides towards the end that it, it's it's easy for people now to think, oh, yeah, but he played for the Roosters. Um, mm. But the Roosters were specifically only good when he got there and he was a large part in, in building that. Um, you don't just build it by being a good administrator. It's all very well to say Politis is one and he may well be, and I'm sure he is, but you, you, actually, that, you, don't, you actually do need not only strong players, but you need strong uh, talent and leadership within the, the group, which obviously Fittler provided. He was the best player for the next sort of eight, nine years at that club yeah. um, and dragged them into a, into a large place, as did Gus, who was coached them for a long time and then was the coaching director um, when, you know, when in the early, in the years of Graham Murray and the early Ricky Stewart sort of reign. So it, it, it's really the birth of them this season and particularly this run they've just come off of, of coming out at the start of the season. I, can you imagine what would have been going around the league and going around the fence when they come out and win the first 10 games and yeah. Freddie Fittler's there and, you know, Gus has obviously had all that success at Penrith um, and previously Canterbury. It must have been incredibly exciting. Absolutely. Uh, you're right to mention Politis. He had become chairman in 1993. But, and, and, yeah, all of these things come together. But, yes, it is. that If you were a Rooster supporter, I mean, it must have been extraordinary. Ten in a row mm. is, was remar- is remarkable. If Penrith do it now, uh, it, it's even more remarkable for a team that hasn't made the finals for 10 years. Uh, yeah, five trips to the finals in 15 years and then 21 in 27. Uh, it's quite amazing. Mm. Uh, and it all started here. And in a way, it, it, this game, I think, is is a really significant, even though they'd won 10 in a row earlier in the year and then lost three in a row, um, coming up against Brisbane and matching them and beating them. Must have been a really big step along the way, right? One hundred percent. They were the you know the glamour team of the competition. I mean, we'll go through the teams in a moment, but when Brisbane's team was read out, um, mm. I just looked at it and was just uh, my notes say, "How did they ever not win the comp? Like, mm. what? How every year did they not win the comp? Like, um, that's what the Wayne Roosters... Bennett has all this reputation, right? And mm. I'm not having a go at him, but I'm looking at it. I'm like, how did they ever lose? Has anyone and, ever beat them? Well, and right? this is uh, there was a time not long before this where all the Sydney teams were saying the same thing, right? Like the Roosters yeah. three years prior to this match are saying, oh, well, we're going to have to merge with St. George because mm. we can't compete. We're never going to beat them. They're, they're too strong. They've come into the comp. The, the, their team yeah. is too good. They're getting too many players. We're, we, we're going to have – there's no way to they're – un, they're unstoppable. Yeah. Uh, and three years later, they're, they're beating them. And since from this game onwards, they've got a winning record against Brisbane. Um, which, which, from a starting position of one from ten, yeah. Uh, I just thought it's worth mentioning. It, it's absolutely it's very easy yeah. to, yeah, very easy to lose sight of the, of the fact that this this was all built relatively recently. It's not, uh, it's not a long standing, not long standing dominance by any means. Now, shall we talk about the game, Gazzy? I think we should. Why don't you go through the teams? Um, yes. If you've got them there, I do have. Them uh, we'll, we'll go through a few things on the list and then start going through the points or the or the the game highlights. Yes, I'll give you the Roosters team. This is very strange. Yeah. I I found this team extremely strange. I'll I'll explain why in a minute. But uh, fullback Ivan Cleary, wings Darren Juney and Peter Jorgensen, centres Matt Singh and Peter Clark, halves Andrew Walker and Adrian Lamb. 
The forwards, front row, Jason Lowry and Paul Dunn. Hooker and captain, Sean Garlick. Uh, I think we're obliged to call him uh, Pie Mogul, Sean yeah. Garlick. Do you yeah. think he's at Mogul status? I think so. I, I was going to say, in the modern, if there was still Monday night football, he'd be in a limousine with Singo. He's worth a, worth a mint. Yeah, Top end of town. No middle true, class man. there. Yes, Sean Garlick, John Singleton and the American Ambassador. Yes. All, all, yeah. <laughs> all and Garlo Spaghetti Pie, special edition. <laughs> Wouldn't they go down smooth? Yeah. Uh, the pack row for the Roosters, Tim Madison and Tony Iroh in the second row, Locke, Brad Fittler, and a bench of Jimmy Smith, Scott Logan, John Simon, and Dean Johnson, coached by Gus Gould. I found this to be a really strange Roosters team. There mm. are, by my count, six players here who are either better known for what they did somewhere else or are just generally kind of journeymen who you wouldn't associate with the Roosters. Uh I, I like Peter Jorgensen, I, and that might be my age, but I certainly think of him as for his time at Penrith, and he played yeah. twice as many games for Penrith as he did for the Roosters. Um, Paul Dunn started at the Roosters, came back for for this year, but I certainly think of him as a Canterbury player, having won that grand final with them and played a lot there. Tony Iroh, journeyman, but also obviously you know Ram running backwards. Uh, John Simon, I was I was stunned to see John Simon come off the bench in this game. Uh, like that just that was completely jarring to my understanding yeah. to see John Simon playing for the Roosters. I don't know. Uh and and then Tim Madison as well. That, that yeah. he only played there for one year, but I again that really knocked me for six. Yeah, it did a bit. Um a few things on some of those players for you, mm. if you've if you've got the time. Oh, I'll um, make the time. I some of what they did in the game and some just generally. Firstly, I want to say that uh, this is an underrated middle block um, or the third way of Brad Fittler's career because his, his career is bookended by being an extremely like raw stepping centre coming through. Um, he could play other positions, but he came through as that like raw young centre at Penrith and sidestepped everyone, smashed Mal in the grand final and all this stuff. And then he's ended his career as this like icing 5'8". Like he sort of would just sit back and then snap you in half with 10 minutes to go. In the middle, there is this third way where he, and I think it's the best version of Brad Fittler, is lock Brad Fittler because he is one of the most versatile players. It just goes to how versatile he was that he played all those positions this well, by the way. But he is a phenomenon at lock forward because, oh, oh it's unbelievable because when he gets the ball, he is a, a, a proper full-blown triple threat. Like, you have to consider the possibility that he will actually just take a hit up and that that is something that will be difficult to handle because he is so rugged and powerful. Um, you and I will remember very well at the end of his career, he had a bit of hamstring trouble and he was a bit, he just didn't run it as much. Like he, his step was there, but he saved himself and paced himself. At this time, and we saw it in the origin as well that we watched um, maybe yeah, 95, maybe. 95, yeah. yeah. And, and he just is running the hell out of the football. So when he gets it, if you don't mark up on him for a hit up, he'll run over you like as good as any front rower or second rower on the field. He's that powerful. If you, but at the same time, you have to watch for the fact that he could just at any point, instead of running over you at the last second, he could snap off his foot um, and sidestep you with what is, if not the best sidestep of all time, then only beaten by Benji Marshall. Um, And then if you don't sort of, if you're busy watching those two things, he might use his completely elite passing skills as a full blown, you know, world-class playmaker and spiral pass into people in holes or gaps and, and whatever. So you're stuck in this this world where 
every time he gets the ball, and he can kick for that matter, yeah. he gets the ball and, and you're like, is this going to be, you know, is he going to run it like Bradley Clyde, step it like Benji Marshall, or pass it like Kendrick Johnson? It's, it's, it's just astounding. It's so, it must have been an absolute nightmare to mark up on. Yeah, oh, he, teams. it was quite amazing to see how hard he was running the ball. And if that had been all he was able to do, his run straight, um, that would have been enough. Certainly in this era, I don't know about either side, but if all he'd have, that would have been enough for him to be a really, really good lock. Um, yeah. Because he's just so big and powerful. Um, and it, it, it's funny, his son is coming through the juniors at the moment. And God, he looks like him physically. Like he's just got mm. that same thick build and he just looks like a, um, looks like the perfect kind of rugby league athlete. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was, and I suppose he was a bit, he was really one of those before many of them existed too, right? Like there weren't many people who had this kind of raw athleticism about them with size in that era. It's almost a prerequisite to play in a lot of positions now, but in the nineties, I guess less so. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he's one of the first. Uh, and even today, like it's rare for the athletes to have so much football ability. And he combines the athletic raw power and stuff with with, with cleverness. And, and they often don't go together. You get one or the other. Like you get a Jason Smith who has that sort of class with the ball, but not that raw power. Or you get guys with raw power, but to get both, is it's frightening. Um, yeah. A couple more uh, is, I just want to say, like, I just think Iroh needs to be mentioned for how incredibly loose he is in this game. Oh, um, yeah. He is like Ali Latidi before Ali Latidi. Like he's causing all sorts of havoc for his own team and the other team at various <laughs> points by just roaming across field. Like he throws one hand passes, he throws offloads, he throws back under one hand passes, he throws forward passes, he throws like it just everything that you should and shouldn't do. He does it. It's very peak Warriors, isn't it? Like from that sort of two thousands era. He would have fitted in absolutely perfectly. And it's so right. I was actually going to say that the former words I had in my head as soon as you said Tony Iroh was he knocked down the door that Ali Lawatiti was able to walk through. He, yeah, because he yeah. plays that same game of like ruggedly standing up in a tackle and holding the ball like it like it's gridiron and trying to hoik it to someone. Yeah. Yeah. Which we, nobody did in with no filter on when to do it either. Like it just no. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Nobody was doing that. Um couple more is uh, I think I, I think we'll just go through it now because we're going to come to him in the game but I just want to say like the man of the match in this game I think he's yes. inarguably Peter Jorgensen um I think Peter Jorgensen I I mean I I remember him because of planing at Penrith because I spent yeah, most of high school telling you know people when when Jared Hayne came on the scene and stuff I started really agitatingly at the end of high school telling people he didn't invent that and Peter Jorkinson did and like to very limited buy-in I was like right I was like, very late high school when he was coming through and then I was doing yeah. the same thing at uni people going oh the Hayne plane I was on Peter Jorkinson no, no, no. doing that years and years ago and I'd try and find the old big league cover I had at home he was on the front of the big league in that 98 era Penrith like the super league style jersey doing the plane in front of a plane I think genius um we'll find it and and it um firstly he does the plane in this game which is obviously going to end up on the website but uh, on the facebook page but i just would say how good he was is that the, the try he scores which we'll get to is world class but the feet he has on him in this game he is like he has spiders on him coming out of kick returns coming out of dummy half on the try itself and, and on a couple of other sort of half breaks his his footwork is some of the best I've ever seen. He he nobody can handle him. That whole Brisbane side, he's making Renoff look like a mug. Mm. Like half the time, he is. They just cannot handle 
the the footwork he has going on. And he'd come across relatively recently from Rugby Union. I think he came over in 95 and he scored eight tries in 10 games then. So he had a bit of an impact and you can see why. And I, I suppose I'm just bringing it up because he's not that well remembered. You didn't have a super long career. But when you watch this game, I just looked at it and thought, how did he not end up kicking on? More oh, yeah, because it, it, he is he. Am I wrong? He's the best player on the field by a mile. He couldn't be handled. He's, he's very good. He um, yeah. yeah. The try that he scores is a belter. Um, yeah, he, he goose steps. We'll talk about it in a minute. But he, like he puts this outrageous goose step on Steve Renoff, uh, and you're right, makes him look like a goose. Um, yeah. no, and then oh, yeah, every it, time it, he comes out of traffic, that he puts those feet on, and it's like stop, shuffle, step, bang, and people are just left standing still, and he's through the gap. Um, it, it, it's just it, it's brilliant. Um, yeah, the plane. I'm so glad you said that. I, I, I a few about five years ago, uh, in a former job of mine, a fella that I worked with, this guy in his sort of fifties, I guess, said to me, um, "Oh, I, I was. We, I mentioned that I was followed football, understand it here, but it, and I said, he said, oh, he said a friend of mine um, used to play." In the NRL, I said, "Oh yeah, who was that?" He said, "Peter Jorgensen. Have you ever heard of him?" And my eyes went completely. Bi- I said, "Have I heard of him?" And I started doing the plane in the office. Obviously, got the arms yeah. out, and then immediately <laughs> pulled up that big leg cover <laughs> and sent it to him. And he was really baffled. He didn't realise that he was that he was a big deal. But I'm going to say he was a big deal to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah anyone who does that, anyone who does that plane thing. Uh, is you know he he you're, you're so right he did invent it. Um, the legacy could have been even greater for Jorgensen, by the way, because uh, mm. according to the uh, uh, the Wikipedia website, in 2000 Jorgensen was eligible to play for Russia in the World Cup, but yes. withdrew from the tournament because it clashed with his wedding. Um, that's a tragedy. Anyone who organises a wedding during the Rugby League World Cup is a fool, by the way. Yeah, um, particularly, I mean, you can get married. I mean, you've got ample chances to marry and very few chances to play for Russia in a World Cup. Just imagine if he'd played at 110-4 in that that match. Well, it wouldn't have been been 110-4. No. If he'd have played in that pool game, it would have been at least 110-12 or something. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, 110-4 with a plane. Yeah. Um, uh, The last player I wanted to quickly bring up with you is I think he he needs to come up for his contribution to this game is Adrian Lamb, who is playing uh, under duress with gastric flu. Uh, It was in doubt pre-game. They put him through some sort of late fitness test, they claim, and then play. But I don't know what the fitness test for gastric flu is. Like Someone just tackle him and hope he didn't sort of of explode his bounce or something and go, yeah, you're good to go. But he, he then goes off during the game for John Simons and comes back, like presumably due to uh, the symptoms of gastric flu that we all know of, um, and comes back on. But uh, the main reason I wanted to mention it is uh, it's not for his bravery, though it, uh, though it is a you know, yeah, rugby league's version of the flu game, is um, when for the Peter Sterling commentary that gets brought up <sighs> during this game, where uh, Fatty says something about someone drifting across the field and and Rabs goes, I thought you said he's dripping across the field. And Sturlo quips in out of nowhere. It might have been Adrian dripping across the field. It might have been Adrian Lamb with his gastric. <laughs> Why did he say that? It's so like it's such a, it's so not a Sturlo thing to say. It's incredible. Oh, I couldn't. I just lost my head. It was so. You know funny. when you know what Sturlo is? He's like you know when you're a kid or a teenager. 
and you've got a friend who's got a really quiet dad who doesn't say much, mm. and and then you you all you and all your friends will be around there, and, and he he famously does, and then all of a sudden he will come out with something outrageous, and it just completely wrong foots everyone. Yeah, that's that's what Sturlow is. Every now and again, he rolls out something like that. He said something else really loose later in the game, which I noted down. I'll get back to it. Oh, that's right. He started sledging um, rugby union. He said, "Yeah, that, yeah." Rab said something about how Jorgensen and I think Darren Junee had come from rugby union, and Sturlow says, "Ah, oh, well, they, you know, if they're from rugby union, they can't tackle," which is a great. It's such a great rugby league in the nineties, early two thousands thing to slag off tackling in rugby union. Yeah, but again, Sturlow like Sturlow unplugged on Monday Night Football. Yeah, it's, yeah. Well, it's because it's he's. Preaching to his Bay Thirteen audience, this isn't your. Isn't you wouldn't have said the gastric joke to your sort of middle class mothers. This is working class Monday, baby. I tell you what, they would have got a few. They would have got a few more over from Sister Act on Channel Seven if they'd known that Sturlo was going to be doing gastro gear. Yeah, exactly right. Sensational chat. Yeah. Anyway, I. I'm glad yeah. you raised all of that. I haven't right. actually given. Is that all on the Roosters team? That's all on the Roosters. That's all on the Roosters. I, I, I don't have much Brisbane on the side yet. I no, don't have I'd... much on the Broncos, but I do have one observation. So if you want to give us the team, I'll, By I'll give it to you. Uh, Kevin Walters not available for this game, so they lined up with Willie Kahn at fullback, Michael Hancock and Robbie Ross on the wings, centers Steve Renoff and Darren Smith halves. Uh, the Darren Lockyer five eighth experiment uh, mm. coming a full ten years early. Yeah, uh, but geez, they do it tough, Brisbane. As you said, Kevin right. Walters unavailable, and they had to play Darren Lockyer. I know. Uh, continue. Nightmare. <laughs> Nightmare. Alan Langer, halfback and captain. The forwards, eight, Glenn Lazarus, and ten, Andrew G. Hooker, Kevin Walters. Second row, Gazzy. Mm. Now, I don't know if this disturbed you as much as it disturbed yes, me. Yes, very much did. I was yeah. completely troubled by this. Uh, Brad Thorne mm. in the 11. Shane Webke in the 12. Yeah, it's very early, Shane Webke, but it's no excuse. It's appalling. It's Shane no Webke excuse. Is like, Shane Webke is the eightiest front rower. He's the archetypal eight front yeah. rower. And the idea of him not only wearing 10, but wearing 12, playing in the second row. You can't have him on an edge. <laughs> it's just, it's an affront yeah. to God. I, I really yeah. have to, like, I wish I hadn't seen this. I wanted to put yeah. bleach in my eyes. Yeah. Um, it's wrong. Uh, anyway, I, I won't go on about it, but I was really bothered by it. I'll just leave it at that. Luckily, you haven't gone on about it. <laughs> no. Continue. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the um, the lock for the Broncos, uh, former New South Wales Police Commissioner, Peter Ryan. <laughs> I knew you'd uh, say that. <laughs> I've never got through Peter Ryan without you calling him the former police commissioner. Not once. Oh, go on. dear, I stand by it. I long for the day. There will be a day, Gazzy, when yeah. someone in the NRL debuts an Andrew Scipioni or a Michael Fuller <laughs> or something. And I will be ready to pounce, let me tell you. Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> the bench for the Broncos, Brett Green, Chris Johns, Brett Galea, uh, and, and Ben Walker. Mm. Uh, this really one of the original Walkers on moments. There's a moment in the second half where Ben Walker comes on and they talk about how he had three other brothers who were highly rated in the juniors. Uh, little did they know what was to come. But uh, I, I noted with interest that there was absolutely no mention of contract football, no mention of short kickoffs and no mention of the legacy of Duncan Thompson, um, which I thought was disappointing. Uh, the Broncos coached by Wayne Bennett. Yeah. Uh, the only observation I have to make about that team, apart from the fact that they have no business losing to anyone at any point of any season, mm. is that um, in this game, 
they have both Darren Lockyer and Robbie Ross playing, and neither of them is picked at fullback, which is Wayne Ball at its <laughs> absolute best, um, because both of those people play for Australia within sort of three years at fullback um, separately. Mm. In this, that both of them at one point are both the state of origin fullbacks for both sides, and at differing stages are the Australian fullback. Um, but for some reason in this game, neither of them is able to be. There's a very narrow window where you could have Robbie Ross and Darren Lockyer both in your team and think that you had a better option to play fullback. Uh, particularly as Willie Khan was primarily a winger and centre, uh, yes. a representative winger, which is where Robbie Ross is playing. So I, don't, I just want you know, it's not a criticism. It's just a, I think the window where this would be culturally acceptable is quite narrow. Well, it's a wonder that Willie Conkarn was in the team at all because um, the he moved to rugby union the following year. Uh, the the, the yeah. I mean, it's a wonder Wayne. You know what Wayne's like with people who leave the club. Never mind leave They're the whole sport. Off. It's a wonder he didn't end up playing for the the, the Toowoomba Clydesdales or something. It's funny. He, um, left that like you didn't get a lot of people leaving the game at. 1997, like this is people <laughs> prolonging their careers for like piles and piles of money that were getting around. It's a funny time to defect a rugby union, isn't it? Yeah, that he was unable. Although his opening performance was described by coach John Knuckles Connolly as a pass, Khan struggled in rugby union and was unable to secure a place in the Reds' regular lineup. Later that season, he retired from professional sport altogether. It's just a um, funny one because he would have got a gig with the Rams or like you know like yeah he would have got paid to play rugby league for. A, but oh, twenty-seven. Yeah, like twenty-seven. they would have paid him a fortune to play for the the Crushers or the Rams or something like that. The, if he couldn't make it, the Broncos, yeah, it is really strange. And remember, there's that wonderful footy show clip where someone, I think it's the chief, says, "You know, we've had a few players leaving rugby league for rugby union." Well, uh, uh, Willie Khan's actually the only one, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is of course in the days before the the Sailor Takiri uh, yeah. Rogers exodus. Yeah. We should uh, talk a little bit about the match. Mm. Uh, as I said, it sort of we the, the footage that we see begins with Blocker appearing on the screen in the trench coat, and he's never looked better. He gives us the report about Adrian Lamb's gastric flu. The very the details of Adrian Lamb's stomach bug, by the way, <laughs> very alarming. He, he yeah. was he yeah. got. He got uh, he was. He, he had a bout of it in the morning. But the blocker yeah. gives us. Gives blocker us, knows a lot about it. Doesn't it does he? He yeah. says he had a bout of it earlier in the day. He he came good and was past fit to play. Then copped another dose this afternoon, uh, and has again has been past second past fit a second time to play. Mm. Doesn't look real good, can I say? And goes off twice during the game. But yeah, uh, yeah. I just I just mentioned that it's it's good to have the contents of a player's stomach being so widely kind of discussed on a, uh, on yeah. a prime time rugby. I mean, this is the rock and roll era of the game though, isn't it? This is Monday night football for you. More yeah. the no middle class mothers watching. No, that's right. You know, the angels, 250 playing, people playing smoke on the water and Adrian Lamb stuck on the Royal Dalton. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's a nice. If, if you can't talk in depth about uh, Adrian Lamb on the can, what can you do on a Monday night? Right? <laughs> exactly right. Adrian Lamb, by the, by the way, uh, the only player to date, uh, to have played in a Monday night football match and uh, been photographed with both members of the Rugby League Cemetery at the Coogee Bay Hotel. A, a yes. record a record which I dare say is likely to remain unbroken for some time. Well, unless we run into Andrew G. <laughs> end up getting King hit talking about the tap. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll put that up during the week too, I think. Photo of us two uh, with Adrian Lim, who with at Adrian the time Lim. I didn't see any signs of gastric flu. 
He looked at, I tell you what, at three o'clock in the morning at the Coogee Bay Hotel, he looked about like what he looked like sitting on the bench <laughs> yeah. in this game. Yeah, that's <laughs> oh, so did I. <laughs> not, not real good. Yeah, not real good. <laughs> anyway, could go on. <laughs> the, the first real incident in the game is in the second minute. Alfie, God bless him, puts in this terrible kick um, from his own 40 along the ground. He kind of slips over and just nuffs it forward about 10 metres. Um, but somehow the Broncos get it back and get six again. And then at the end of the next set, he then boots a bomb two yards two yards sideways and a yard backwards. Uh, and somehow the Broncos come up with it again. So there's two absolutely foul kicks that should have been turned over. They recover both of them. And it ends up after a bat down being passed to Darren Lockyer, uh, who gets it and slices through from 20 out. Gazzy, an important question about this try. Mm. Uh, I... Tony yeah. Iroh Tony Iroh rushes up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is this the first <laughs> recorded? Now I know you're a very keen chronicler of uh, yeah you, the 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 long-standing commentary favourite of you shouldn't rush up on Darren Lockyer. Is this the first recorded instance of somebody rushing up on Darren Lockyer and suffering oh, the consequences? It is exactly what I thought it was. It's, yeah. um, it, it because of the the kick. Uh, the kick goes out wide and then it's batted back in and there's a few passes. The the line staggered. And as they swing it back from edge to mid- midfield, Iroh just sprints up on Lockyer. And the second he went through, I just yelled it out. I just said, you can't force Darren Lockyer to run. You yeah. rush up on Lockyer, you force him to run. Yeah. And and for anyone, anyone that has watched rugby league for the entirety of Darren Lockyer's career will know absolutely that any co- commentator is obliged to pontificate that anytime anyone rushed up on Darren Lockyer. That's and right. Peter, Peter Sterling... Uh, I think was the absolute king of this, who would just sit there in quite a derisive tone um, as if he knew everything, which he does. Uh, he just go, ah, oh, you can't rush up on Darren Lockyer. Yeah. You, you, you force him to run the football. You do not want to force Darren Lockyer to run the football. This and is Darren Lockyer's 24th first grade game. I'd um, say you know, someone else had rushed up on him, but yeah. Um, it, it's, yeah. I mean, he, he played wing and fullback a couple of times early, so it was a bit harder to rush up on him than it, in that era at fullback than, than later. But it, it, I, I would say that in our lifetime, that is the biggest trope about a player that I can remember. Um, yeah. like, there's a few, you know, like Brad Fittler's step, obviously, was was always one and, and stuff like that. But it didn't come up. Like, it wasn't – people didn't say – watch his sidestep every time he stepped. Like Darren Lockyer, every time someone remotely came out of the line at him and he went through, it, it, it would be said every game. It was I like, reckon. it's like the rushing up on Darren Lockyer is the rugby league equivalent of like running with scissors or sticking a fork into a toaster or something. Yeah. It's something you're constantly told that you absolutely mustn't do. All children learn at these. As soon as mm. they can walk, they learn that to not rush up. If they see Darren Lockyer on the street, they yeah. sprint at him. And, yeah, give and him some space. The, the funny thing was, it became such a trope that people started getting criticised for doing it on play five because he was a primary kicker for Brisbane for a long time. And he'd get on play five and people would come up trying to put kick pressure on him and he'd go past them and people would start really railing them for basically for kick pressure because, no, you can't rush up on him. It became, like, inexcusable in any circumstance, even in a situation where you would rush up on anyone else yes, in history. Exactly. That you just should never rush up on Darren Lockyer. I'm glad that can't you said it out loud on your own. Um, yes. Yeah, that's, well, that's, that's what I've done. No, I, um, absolutely. Uh, Willie Khan misses the goal uh, from the Lockyer try, uh, and it's waved away by that old touchy. He's there again. Yeah. <laughs> we've we've talked a bit about yeah. uh, we've talked a bit about John Ferguson and the amount of cemetery games he happens to feature in. Yeah. Uh, 
and a few other players. I've got to tell you, that old touchy's getting some numbers up. Jesus, but yeah, some games. He'd be in the top five. By the way, this is another one for a Smith brother. Who the Smith one of this one or other of the Smith brothers is running at a very high rate of our of our podcast. Yeah. Uh with Darren Smith in it again. Um he hasn't done anything in any of them, but he's been a lot of them. No, but he's been there, um, that's right. Yeah, the, that's the, right. The, this touchy likewise hasn't done much in any of them, but he uh is in a hell of a lot of them, isn't he? Yeah. I think they uh, did they have any other touch like, did he do every game, do we know? <laughs> well, I suppose. I mean he seems to have been this year or in the late nineties, yeah. he seems to have been everywhere. Yeah. He's like that bloke in um like that bloke in Blade Runner, you know, talking about all the things he's seen over the yeah. years. You imagine the football, you know, now lost when he retired. It would have been like that, you know, all yeah. now gone, like tears in rain, you know? Yeah, I um, suppose. <laughs> extraordinary. He just, I, I, I see him almost every game we do from anywhere near this time. Uh, the other thing which I had to point out from mm. that, that, that jumped out at me from the early exchanges of this game is the paint on the halfway line. Um, Optus, the New Deal, local calls. Um, I don't know how this Optus New Deal compares to the original New Deal. Um, yeah, um, promoted by uh, FDR in the thirties to fight back against the Great Depression, but uh, favorably, I think thirty cents know, a call. You can't beat that for value. No, no, that's right. Um, I don't know Didn't what the going me. rate was for new for local calls in nineteen ninety six. I can't, I can't help you. I, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's um, it was just a beautiful thing to see. Uh, yeah, I love anything. I love anything. Any throwback to landline phones really speaks to me. <laughs> I like to be reminded that the landline era existed. Yes, I think that's about right. Yeah, right. yeah. particularly with the, uh, anything Optus on on the field. <laughs> Optus is only associated with this with sort of Optus vision and these two or three completely chaotic years of the game that they're mm. otherwise completely uninvolved in the sport before and afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, if you think Optus involved in rugby league, you think of them, you really do think of the television exploding and yeah. the anti-Super League war chest. That's kind of... Yeah, the, that's right. Uh, yeah, we the, the next try is scored in the 11th minute, and this is the one we were talking about with Peter Jorgensen. It's going to take a minute to explain this. When I was writing my notes, I just wrote, oh, baby, in capital letters mm. before I wrote anything else. The Roosters get a turnover in their own half. Two plays later, they swing it from their own 40 from right to left. They're almost on the right-hand touchline and they swing mm. it all the way across to the left. Ivan Cleary puts Peter Clark through. Clark, well, I say puts him through, but Clark, Peter Clark actually throws a lovely step at the line to go past his man. Mm. He, he as, he's, as he's tackled, finds a pass to Jorgensen. And Jorgensen beats two. And when I say two, I'm reasonably sure it's Steve Renoff and then Alan Langer. Yeah. Including with a, this sensational goose step that he puts on to kind of balk Renoff and slow him down. Uh, and then he yeah. holds off. He's finally tackled at the line by Robbie Ross, and he manages to hold him off and get himself over. Yeah, it is just magnificent football. Side one side to mm. the other, inside their own the, forty, inside mm. their own half. Two plays off a turnover, like they bang. We're going to go at yeah. And it's an early sign from the Roosters that they are going to attack Brisbane, and they're going to try and they're going to they're, they're going to try and worry them. They're not going to grind away and hope not to get hurt. They're going to. Swing, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jorgensen, the, the stepping is extraordinary because to paint the scene, Renoff's sort of coming in cover from sort of behind on an angle at him, and it's a stop goose. He stops with Renoff behind mm. him and stops, and it forces. Ren- it's a funny thing when someone stops and you're chasing them, you stop because really you shouldn't. Because that's mm. when you so he sort of stops, Renoff stops, and then he gooses up and goes again, and and that just completely 
throws Renoff off and he's through. And then having done that, he hits top pace again in about a second and a half. So he goes from stop, goose, bang, full pace. And then Lang is coming across and he goes shuffle like off both feet, one, one, boom, back inside and causes Langer to fall over. And the reach out is quite like, I think there's very few tries that, that aren't exciting when you have to reach out. So he's going for the line, tackled from behind, is actually not going to make it and has to reach the arm out to plant yeah. it. And, and any try where you have to reach the arm out um, is very exciting. Two things about that try, I think, that were three things actually that were mentioning. One is uh, I've taken a great screenshot that I thought you would enjoy, and I sent it to you just before the pod that we'll put up during the week. Perfect positioning <laughs> by the in goal touchy. Um, if you check your phone, have a look at it. I'll run you through it. Is that because Jorgensen gets tackled just sort of the line and is reaching out <laughs> for the line? Yeah, you've just got it up, haven't you? That the in goal touchy rushes from the dead ball line to three quarters of the way. <laughs> back towards the field of play in the end goal. So he gets right sort of nearly into the field of play and gets in a squat position low to the ground and just is absolutely in perfect positioning to rule on this try. Uh, isn't it good? We'll put it, we'll pop it up. It, it doesn't do a good, good job. Thing, the other good thing about the end goal, he does do a good job. And uh, it's good to see him wearing a jacket as well. That's as God yeah. intended. I can't bear the, the, the sight of in goal touches in the standard referee uniform. Oh, he'd be it, freezing on a Monday night. He'd be copping it from Bay 13 all night. At least he'd get a jacket. Like early July in, 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 yeah. you know, in Sydney. You're kidding. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I've got to wear the jacket. It's very, even now, I, the, no, the Newca- I've, been, I've been going to the Newcastle Rugby League finals over the last few weeks and they keep, they've, they've had the in-goal touches in for the finals and, and they're in the regular referee uniform. I don't know what's what. It's, it's thrown me for a loop. Get the jacket on, lads. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, secondly, I, I think. It requires mentioning is Sturlo mm. here. I, I just need to firstly, this is like dead set geometry. What he put, he, he does one of the great frees that there's here. There is like circles, there's basically every shape you're going to circles, triangles, squares, you know, hexagons. Like, there's everything he's drawn on the screen to try and explain how Peter Clark ends up running through a hole. Um, on this, but we're basically he sort of dummies and steps past a guy in a three on two ish. Uh, basically, and the amount of scribble on the screen is extraordinary. Um, and the other reason I actually wanted to mention that as well is, is I think, I know we've talked about it so much, but every time he does, and I phrase it there, I just laugh so hard when he goes and play continues because we mentioned that he never, like, you know, that that was his trope and he always did it. But we are yet to, like, he commentated, Thousands of games, I reckon. Yeah. We are yet to catch him. And I invite the listeners to try because I'd love to hear one. We have never caught him not say, no. if you freeze it there, as play continues. Like, there hasn't been one time no. ever that I've got on this podcast where he we've caught him for saying a different form of words. Not a stutter, not one word out no. of place. And he does it again here. It's just absolutely perfect. Now, if we freeze it there, and as play continues, yeah. every time. It's, never, never, ever stuffs it up. I got really bothered in the mid two thousands when they they introduced the Bundy Rum Telestrator. Yeah. Sterlo would have to then say, as we freeze it there on the Bundy Rum Telestrator, and it threw the whole thing out. Yeah, it's not right. No, um, it, it, it's not right. They should never have forced him to adapt to that at all. Just freeze it there. That's all you need. Um, Last one on that try, completely gratuitous, but as Peter Clark went through, it does need to be mentioned, is um, I have Peter, because I met Peter Clark and I have his Rams jerseys, I also have Peter Peter Clark's 1997 game-worn 
Roosters Heritage jersey, that beautiful Heaven. striped one. A tw- high number too. It's from a reserve grade game, 20, 20-something. Um, and, you know, those yeah, that beautiful people will remember, and they wore it in the prelim against Manly. It was that beautiful striped one. Uh, where it, instead of wearing the V, it's all the blue, blue and red with the white stripes across across the whole thing in a heritage jersey. Um, so I just thought I would mention that uh, to anyone interested. It's probably oh, one of my favourite jerseys. Actually, you know what? Another jersey I got off him totally uh, off topic is he actually he ends up after he played for the Rams, he, he went and played for Souths during the um, he played for Souths in their last season in the NRL and then plays for them in those exhibition games <laughs> during during the. Um, the when they're out of the comp yeah so he so what i ended up getting off off him is he actually played against the tomahawks in the south for the tomahawks game and um they all swapped their jerseys like at the end of the game all south and america swapped jerseys so i ended up with a game one the game one tomahawks american tomahawks jersey that's history isn't it yeah the one in the flag design you know the the full american flag design with like lincoln finance or something on the front of stuff stupid like it's sort of a blend of you know some sort of presidential finance company on the on the front, um, yeah. Don't there's something about that also. There is something striking about Abraham Lincoln's like profile or silhouette on a rugby league jersey. There's something about it that yeah, works. Let me tell you, yeah. the whole thing's just a flag. It's just it's beautiful. But no, so I have it. The, the famous South Tomahawks game. I do have a, not Peter Clark's jersey, but a, a jersey he swapped his jersey for. In Interesting. That I wonder if the I wonder if the presidential advisor who was at the West's North's game at Campbelltown with Singo yeah. was involved in engineering the Souths versus the Tomahawks uh, pre-season fundraiser match in, I think, the year 2000. Yeah. Well, I mean, if he'd said that Bears and um, West game as a standard of what he thought rugby league was, he'd been bloody disappointed. Not much as living up to that. No. Um, it's, uh, you know, you know, on that, <laughs> on a second tangent, on that, on, that South game, you know, Pete, one thing Peter Clark told me that I thought was very funny is that uh, they played Lebanon as well. And, and I remember, and I was like, oh, geez, I'd have killed for one of those Lebanon jerseys. And he said, yeah, none of them had swapped with us. So, so they swapped. So South Sydney have played against Lebanon, tried to do the jersey swap at the end of the game as, as I, like everyone swaps the jersey. And Lebanon were like, no, we want to keep our own. <laughs> Didn't want yeah. the, like, too good for sort of the South was that Sydney. In the, was that in the JJ's Chicken Snacks era? Yeah. Because yeah. i got to tell you, I wouldn't have given yeah. one of them away. No, no, no. I, I no. do have yeah. to side with Lebanon on that issue. Um, yeah. 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 No, I, I wouldn't give one away. That's why I was hoping you had one. But yeah. yeah. Total, the idea of Lebanon sort of snubbing South Sydney South seems Sydney, very yeah. backwards. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the sum total of all of that, as Peter Jorgensen mm. does the plane and Ivan Cleary misses the goal, uh, is that it's four all after about 12 minutes. And from here, the Roosters really do start launching wild attacks on the Broncos mm. and causing them all sorts of mischief. From the set after the kickoff, they go at them straight away. They make a, right, a raid down the right-hand side. Juni's put away, gets to about the 20, and then they swing it. They immediately He's tackled on the 20 on the right-hand side, and they immediately swing left and go after them again. It's wonderful attacking, vibrant football. Mm. That's a, that, that does need just on that line break. I had in my notes that we do need to mention dramatic foreshadowing here because he goes through on this massive line break and then threatens with a to kick over Khan. He goes up yeah. to Willie Khan at fullback, looks at kicking, puts it down to his boot, and then pulls himself in and takes the tackle in dramatic foreshadowing of what is to come, my dear listeners. Shame, shame. Mm. Uh, and we it just do shows just... the instinct for it, but it was there. Yeah. It didn't come out of nothing. He was and thinking we hear it. the first the first mm. instance of Rabs bellowing out, Joni! Joni! 
plenty more where that came from. Yeah. Uh, then a minute later, they get the ball back. And tragedy of all tragedies, i got to say, because this mm. is superb football. Yeah. Matt Singh makes one of the many breaks that he makes in this game. Matt Singh, who wins man of the match, according to Channel On, is magnificent in this Gun. match. Mm. Like, he, mm. the thing about who he's playing against here, um, he's playing against basically the entire Queensland side. He's got origin and rep, like origin and test players all around him. On, mm. and, and, and he is as good as all of them. Uh, weapon and, and just despite being really, like four foot tall and yeah, you know, 80 kilos ring and wet, he's just <laughs> superb and he makes this break. And then for some reason, as he's tackled, decides to hurl the ball back. It's the mm. long, it, can I say it's the longest offload I've ever seen? It went 15 meters backwards, yeah, it undid the whole line break. Yeah, he went back from where it went back <laughs> yeah. to where it came from and was caught <laughs> by his teammate. And then they keep the ball moving. And Tony Iroh, in the end, gets it in midfield about halfway and throws a round-the-corner kind of basketball pass to Andrew Walker, who was going at about Mach 3 through the hole. Like, he just surges yeah, onto wow. it and is gone for all right. Like, he's nearly under the goalpost by the time the ref blows the whistle. And they call it back for forward pass. Yeah, I, I, I was I was furious about that. I wrote just profanity in my notes about yeah. that being called back because it's just... Just bang out of order. Oh, man. such good football. It's beautiful. And... um. Great commentary, by the way, from Sterlo saying that it's uh, that. Oh, that's the old alley oop move from Tony Iroh. The Sydney Kings would be proud of that. Which yeah, I thought was that was a show of the times, isn't it? The NBL was on a bit of a bit of a run in the mid nineties as well. Speaking yeah. of sports having a bit of a push, it was having its sort of moment off the back of the NBA sort of success and stuff. Um, to go back to our earlier chat, yeah, that's, so you get that's a bit true. of that. It's a bit of an era to hear a bit of that talk. Yeah, that's right. I don't think you'd get that sort of thing now. I don't think anyone would reference, even if there was a basketball move um, in a rugby yeah. league match, nobody would bring up the Sydney Kings, I don't think. Like, you might get no, the no, Chicago no. Bulls, LA Lakers, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think you'd get the Kings or... or um, you, you might or get the, the Razorbacks. The Razorbacks, yeah. We, we, yeah. Were, we were heading there. The Western, <laughs> City, the Western City Razorbacks very much an example of Godwin's law for us. It's sort of, it's, all, if we, it's always going to come up eventually. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Goodwin's law. Yeah, it's law tense. Goodwin's the, law. The, the, long, the longer a conversation goes on, the more likely you are to bring up Lord Ted um, or Bronx Goodwin. Yeah, I, <laughs> keep calm and smack their bottoms, listeners. That's all I can say. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> the, I, you talked at the start about Gus and about Gus's yeah. coaching. This is yeah. the Broncos in the mid nineties. This is an incredibly strong football team. This is mm. the Roosters who haven't made the finals for 10 years, and they are giving them so much trouble. They are on top. They, I couldn't believe that there was uh, there was 10 minutes of this where you look at the score and think they should be up by about 16, uh, which yeah. is a mark of the Brisbane that they aren't, you know, because that's what good teams do is they, they ride out stuff like this. But the stuff East is throwing at them is just wild. Um, and it is. It's just Gus Ball. It, it, it's it's a, elaborate and adventurous like if they get it on one edge it's one pass two pass three pass but it's so there's so many parts like they don't just shift to an edge they throw two long passes and then the third guy will end up turning it back inside and they end up running to the space that, like the first two passes came from they're always changing directions there's multiple times where there's two changes of direction in a play and sort of throws an unders spread back the other way and throw the unders again. It, it's just, it's very hard. I really encourage everyone to watch this, but it's, there's even if you, if you, um, you'll miss some of the intricacies, but you can even watch a 10 minute highlights package. The NRL's put up if you don't want to watch the whole game, yeah. but I encourage you to, because some of the football is just out of this world and it doesn't look like what's done today. 
Um, no, and there's a difference, isn't there, between Gus now as a pundit is always going on about structure and how coaches try and mm. coach down to the last pass of a try and all this. And you see it in the way that he set this team up. There's a difference between a structure and a plan, right? They yeah. don't have a real. They don't have those clear, orderly set plays where everybody's running a particular line. But there's a very clear plan here, which is we're going to swing the ball from side to side. We're going to make this defense move, mm. and we are not going to give them. We're not. We're going to give them moving targets. You know, like it, yeah, it, we're going to look for space and we're going to change angles. So if, yeah. you got, if we're going to throw two long passes and you're sliding, if you slide, we'll come back under. If you yeah. don't slide, we'll throw a third pass and we'll we'll try you on the outside. So you're throwing these sorts of balls and looking for what the other team does and coming yeah. off that. That's and, I mean, and they're so set up for it because with Brad Fittler, they're basically playing Lamb and Walker in the halves and Brad Fittler at lock. So Brad Fittler's getting it at first receiver half the time as a lock, looking up. And if it's, if they want to run it, he throws the long pass and he's got either got Lamb, Walker or both quite wide off a long pass for him. And, you know, Walker is so deadly on those edges of off those some of those passes. He doesn't go through a lot, but just the threat mm. of it is um, beautiful. And Matt Singh's fantastic. It, it's really good football. I've really enjoyed the style of football that was played. Yeah. And, and Brisbane, in fairness, will get to a bit, uh, throw plenty oh, yeah. back as well. Yeah, they score one of the – I'm about to get to the try they score yeah. shortly after this. Oh. A couple of things I just have to bring up first. Um, two things quickly. 24th minute, Gus brings John Simon on for Adrian Lamb. This really was a wonderful era for halfbacks on the bench. Yeah. Uh, and particularly him, yeah. Yeah, particularly John Simon <laughs> on the bench. Yeah, that's right, in, very, in various iterations yeah. uh, at various clubs. Uh, as Lamb walks off, Ronnie Palmer tells Blocker Roach that he, <laughs> that he will be back. And I've got to tell you, this was a good thing to hear Ronnie Palmer quoted by Blocker in 1996. Yeah, um, it's fantastic. <laughs> There's no one within a tenth of him as a trainer in terms no, of profile, is there? No. Only that bloke, that that Queensland bloke Johnson, is it the yeah yeah the yeah, mad one yeah. that the the one who's famously kind of brutal with his preseason training, mad but... preseasons yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah but he still he still probably doesn't have any Palmer's probably no, yeah, the next one. Um, it, it's funny on the on the Simon thing, and this is slightly out of sequence, but I'll mention it just because we're on Simon, so we'll fit it in. Um, but one, when, during Simon's stint on the field, um, we get one of my favourite things of all time from Ray Warren. Which yeah. is that um, Simon throws a forward pass, which Rebs describes as blatant and should be a penalty to Brisbane, calling for the mm. intent. My favourite trope, the intentional forward pass. Um, there is nothing better than old league heads saying, "Oh, that's almost that's almost a penalty." Because I, we've said it before, and we'll say it again. No one throws the the ball forward intentionally. I went gaga when he said that. I love it. Because yeah. why is it a rule? I keep coming back to this. Why was this rule put in the book? Like. Why would anyone deliberately throw? What advantage is to be gained by deliberately throwing a forward pass? No. Could, like, there's no rule for a deliberate knock-on. No. It's, <laughs> it's a mistake. I, yeah. It's very strange. And, yeah, you're right. Rabs deliberate really... deliberate mis-tackle, like penalty. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. They're, like, they're errors. It's a mistake. He's <laughs> not trying to. Yeah. He just straight up says that should be a penalty. He then blows yeah. up a minute later and blows up about a knock-on that went backwards. It's another old footy heads. They yeah. really foul about, oh, that, that that wasn't forward. Where did that go forward? He's facing his own try line. Yeah, floated what, forward. What concerns me about this is that I also do this quite a yeah. lot. It's a real bugbear of mine. That's yeah. not a knock on. Um, yeah, that that was good to hear. The, yeah. <clears throat> the other thing I just wanted to say about this era, and forgive me if this is a bit loose, but I, mm. which I know would be a first. Yeah. Kicking, long-range kicking and bombs sounded so good in the in the late nineties. 
the sound and Brad Fittler in particular, because he had that big cement boot. Mm. But like there is the sound of the ball thumping off someone's boot has never sounded so good as it did in this era. Do you agree? Uh, look, I hadn't thought about it, but I, I think they kick very well in that era. I think they kick. I think it's the one area that they're better at professionally than they are now. I, I think that they were they kicked the ball because they would spiral kick for distance. Yeah. I think they hit them better more often. They shanked a few more, but I think they kicked it ten to fifteen meters further than everyone who's not Burton and Cleary getting around now. I think well, they were I, wonderful kickers of the ball. I put the. I heard Bradford lined up a kick from his own half and sent it torpedoing down, like spiralling downfield. And I heard the sound, and it was like coming home. It was beautiful. <laughs> um, I accept that that's, that may be a niche thing to say. But this is, yeah. you know, well, that is why we're ultimately, yeah, if, 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 not, if not here, then when? You know? Exactly right. No, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm going to watch out for that. I'll go watch some footage. You do that. You, you hear it. You'll go, God, that's, that's beautiful. Um, beautiful thud. Uh, 28th minute is would probably in any other game be the try of the game. This is magnificent. Uh, it, Kevin uh, Terrid Walters jumps out of dummy half, dummies left and passes right to Lazarus. And the thing about that is that the runners crisscross. They come from the, the guy that Lazarus ends up on the right, starts to the left of the ruck and ends up on the right. And the, the decoy runner starts on the left, comes behind Walters and ends up on the left. Sorry, starts on the right and ends up on the left. Lazarus gets it on the right of the ruck. Uh, he then throws an inside ball to former police commissioner Peter Ryan. He offloads it to Khan, and then Khan turns his body around and turns it back inside to Robbie Ross. And so there are about three or four times where the ball, the direction of the passes change, but all within about five metres on the field. Mm. It's an extraordinary play. I love set plays like this. Not out the back to the blocker set plays like weird stuff. Yeah, the crisscross scissor plays, the scissors. Yeah, um, the, the we were talking about set plays before. All set plays should be a, a crisscross or scissors or a runaround. Yes. Um, apart from a mouse trap, obviously goes without saying. But in obviously. terms of set plays that aren't mouse traps, everything should be a crisscross scissors play, or it should be a runaround, off, preferably running around off a forward, like a back throw, like a path throws it to a forward runs around the back and gets out the other side. All plays should be that. That is how all set plays should be. I'll tell you, like modern players think they know stuff and they, they don't. Like, I mean, Tyson Gamble was on the air the other week saying that, like, the game's changed a lot since when Kevin Walters played, so they have to listen to Adam Reynolds a lot for game plans. And, like, I was yeah. really irritated by it because I was like, Kevin Walters is better than every single player in your team, you pelican. And if he did what he did then, now, like, nobody would handle it. Like the, the football no, was so much more skill back then. Like they've got. Well, it no sounds like what you might there. be saying, Gazzy, is that Kevin Models would be the best half in the game if he played I, now. I know someone who'd say that, but it, it, it's true. It's that these people think that because they learn dumb set plays, in dumb, boring robotic block plays, that they mm. know how rugby league is played. I'll tell you right now, if somebody and if somebody's, if anyone involved in the game is listening to this, yeah, heaven they forbid, are. they are. Then, oh, then don't worry, we've got a very this, broad reach. If you do this next year, you will score. Oh, yeah, like yeah. the first time you do this, like if the Newcastle Knights come out at the round one and run that play behind the ruck and, you know, Caelan Ponga goes left and someone else goes right and then they, they cross back and do the crosses, they will score. People won't handle it. It confuses the living shit out of everyone. Yeah. I could really follow it watching it. I, the, the thing about it is that, that yeah, no, that's right. You, you don't even, it's hard to know who even has the ball. The Roosters under, in the back-to-back years, used to do a little bit of this, of the... 
they'd do it down a blind side where they would change direction. They might go half back to winger, back inside the centre or something like that, or centre back inside mm. the full back and that kind of thing, back out to the winger. Um, I think they scored a try like that in the prelim against South uh, at the SCG. It must have been the it must have been 2019. But it is so beautiful and so rare now. You never see this kind of changing of direction. Uh, oh, it's beautiful. The best one, I, as I say, I love a set play like this. Another great one was Paul Gallen in the grand final against Melbourne, right, where he jumps out of the scrum and turns yeah. it inside a barber. Nobody does that. that that's no, not a thing that anyone does. And he jumps out all of a sudden. And guess what? Nobody was expecting it. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it, it is. Uh, it, it was it was dazzling to defences now. And God forbid if someone did it. Uh, sorry, it was dazzling to defences then. If someone did it now, uh, all hell would break loose. You're right. They, they would be bamboozled. Uh, Robbie Ross runs 30 metres to score. Got a bit of pace, Robbie Ross, by the way. Skiving. Oh, yeah. Uh, Willie Kahn kicks the goal from in front, and it is 10-4. Cut to Adrian Lamb sitting on the bench in a hooded jacket looking extremely unwell. Yeah. Uh, not and, and, you know, not without cause. Now, we're getting towards halftime. A couple of things I would like to mention, uh, and I won't labour this, but I just note that Sterlow really viciously attacks the Roosters for not taking the two at 10-4 down. Mm. Um, I also want to call out Ivan Cleary for a murderous straight hit up that he takes direct off a dropout in the 35th minute. I don't know if you got onto this. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh my god! I won't say anything, but he catches this dropout and just belts it at the full set Brisbane line from halfway and collides with them on about the 30. Uh, I don't know who told him that, that was a good idea, but you got to be brave. Yeah. A, to be, as anyone to do that, never mind a fullback. He doesn't like pitter patter up. He no. bolts it at them. No, he did. But, yeah, yeah. It's a bit of um. I mean, Carmichael Hunt probably the most recent yep. example of a fullback yep. that runs like that. But this is this is wild stuff from from Ivan Cleary. Uh, and so the half ends with this kind of mad helter skelter offloads and a kick, and both teams get the ball at various times. Uh, and the Mission Impossible theme plays the teams off at <laughs> half time, where where Brisbane lead ten four. Uh, isn't that uh, isn't that edgy uh, young uh, single male sort of well, thing? It was in 1996, I suppose. Yeah, that, yeah, I, yeah, it would have been about the time. Uh, just after half time, one of the moments of the match, in my humble opinion, uh, we get, and again, this is the peak 90s Channel Nine banter era. Uh, we get to turn it up, Gazzy. Oh yeah, it's in my notes. Yeah, I thought it might be. Yeah. The fat man uh, sledges Rams about the smoke on the water at half time, which now makes sense because we know there were 250 people playing it on guitar. Hmm. Uh, and he says, oh, Rams, that'd be a favourite of yours, wouldn't it? And then he says, oh, no, Rams is still listening to the Jim Neighbours' greatest hits. Now, I don't know if you know much about Jim Neighbours. Uh, Jim Neighbours was uh, Goma Pyle. Um, yeah, that's, that's right. who, yeah, that's who, that's who Jim Neighbours was. Uh, but... Uh, Rab's response to this by saying, turn it up. So good. He says, you really are a lunatic, aren't you? <laughs> turn and it up. Turn <laughs> it up. I, the trouble is, once I start doing it, I can't. I'm going to be doing stop. it for three days now for everyone. Just turn it up, you two. Turn it up. <laughs> uh, it's just beautiful. And it was a privilege to hear it. They don't yeah. do it anymore. You never get, nobody says turn it up really anymore. No, but, unfortunately. But, other than sort of you and I. Yeah, with the last bastions, yeah. Yeah, but. Uh, th- this this was a better time in this and many other ways. Uh, 44th minute, uh, Darren Junee goes off with an ankle injury. 
Uh, it's very rare, isn't it? I, I, do you agree, Gazzy, that it is rare in modern times or rarer to see players go off injured and then come back on? Like he yeah. goes off with an ankle injury. You don't see so much of this where 20 minutes later they they sort him out and he gets back out there. No, not really. Not not a lot. Not unless they need a needle or something. But usually, mm. I mean, a lot of the time they don't they don't take them off the field. The trainers are all on there now, so they, they tend to mm. leave them out there because especially with the interchanges are so precious. Like back then, they have three backs on the bench half the time and one forward anyway. So you can sort of yeah. afford to burn them. But now, like you you, get, you think pretty bloody long and hard before you take a, a center or a winger off the field. Yeah, um, that's right. Uh, that that creates a the, the the middle of the second half is to a large extent a series of near misses, particularly for Brisbane. There are no points for quite a long time in this game, and Brisbane have a couple of amazing near misses. One where Robbie Ross is stunningly held up by uh, Andrew Walker after this back and forth razzle dazzle play. Uh, there is another one. Uh, later on, I think in about the sixty or the seventieth minute, it might be where they very nearly score. I know there's a Langer one where he goes through from twenty five out and is hauled down by Jorgensen on the line. There's a couple of times where Brisbane could have finished this long before uh, before Darren Juney comes on and sticks his oar in. A couple of things I want to call out though: mm. uh, Fatty doing a Richie Benno impression. Um. In, yeah, in commentary, that was quite good to well, hear. Just just before that, uh, see that comes off uh, the back of Rabs complimenting his commentary. Uh, there's there's um I wrote down the whole thing. So Matt Singh makes a line break. Yeah, and Fatty like they show it on the replay, and Fatty commentates the the replay coverage of it, telling what what's happened after <laughs> seeing it live. And this is one of the most beautiful pieces of commentary by the Fat Man. It comes in and it goes. He goes, oh, Singh, he beats the fullback, one to beat, but there was 25 of them chasing him, and they engulfed him like tow trucks to a car crash. <laughs> and then and then, <laughs> Rabs comes in sort of full 12th man style and just goes, oh, what about that commentary? But a fat man, like some sort of comment about it and goes, oh, it's like, thanks for that one, Richie. And then, then, then Fatty starts doing his Richie impersonation. Right. And it's so, like, it's so... It is such a funny piece of commentary. In fact, like the, the the like stupid like tow trucks to a car crash into the twenty. There's twenty five of them chasing him. Do you yeah. remember, like you forget in that era how much he used to do the exaggerations? Like he's flown onto that pool at a squillion miles an hour, and you know, like two hundred of them chasing him, and a you little yeah. Ronnie Cootie goes over in the corner, like all that. One hundred percent. Yeah, no, yeah, that's right. It is. No, it's a beautiful. And and Rabs did used to do this, like really whip him up after he'd done it. He's sitting there going, "Oh, righto, Richie." Like <laughs> Yeah, I, there's another moment shortly after this where Rab, uh, where Fatty says, Rui, Adrian Lamb, he's got the gastro, and every time he gets the ball, you think he's going to have an accident. <laughs> Which, again... Monday night coverage. Monday night, baby. Uh, well, you know, if we'd have been, the, the thing is, if they'd done a 43-minute highlights package, you might have lost a lot of this. Let me tell you, who knows what is out there from these 43-minute highlights package games that never made it to air. Some comments that were made across the course of 80 minutes that never made it into the 43 minutes on Sunday night. There could be all sorts of commentary. Imagine if the Wollongong Ocean thing had happened and not made the final cut. Yeah, yeah, well, you're right. It could have. Um, 
one more thing on that on commentary while we're at it is we get this yes. wonderful update from Blocker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really whips me up when they start asking because there's been a few injuries and he talks about the Junee one, I think, and then he's like, oh, Darren Lockyer, he's got a few smashed teeth. And it's just, uh, this, I know it's not that funny, but the way he says it, but the earnestness, because it's this mix of earnestness and also not thinking that's particularly serious. He doesn't say that you know, bothered by it, does no, he? No, he's just he like, doesn't... oh, he's got a few, Lockyer, no, he'll be back. He's just got a few smashed teeth. It's, uh, that doesn't sound good. No, it doesn't. They sort of just talk about how uh, that's it's all, that's very much talked about like that was something you had to expect by playing first grade rugby league, which I suppose it is. But, yeah, um, yeah. It was. yeah. There's when those guys are all off the field, uh, you know, I, you know, I don't need to tell you how much we as a podcast love commentary tropes. Um, there's yes. a very good one uh, after Junie's off. Uh, where they say that where Rabs comes in and says that the Roosters dressing room dead set looks like an emergency ward. Um, I thought you'd like that because is there any other way to describe uh, um, a bench that has a lot of it? Like, have you ever heard any other expression? No. That if multiple people, if say, I think, would you say three? Yeah. It's usually going to be three. If no, got three four, players, I think it, yeah. If three people have been injured, I think that, like, you don't usually say it when you're two twos, like, oh, they're going to have to play a bit short. Once you've got three, it is emergency obligatory ward. to talk about the emergency ward, isn't it? Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And I'm glad Every you single time. It. Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, it is the, it's not only obligatory, but it's also the only form of words you can use. Um, and talking uh, about, yes, you might be what, headed to the same place as me, but yeah, you go. What minute are you about to go to here? I'm about to go to the 67th minute. Me too, you go. Uh, are you about to talk about how I thought this might be the case while we're on commentary? Yeah. Uh, were you about to talk about how Sterla starts? Yeah. To you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got in my notes that with 13 minutes to go, <laughs> I'm glad you had it too. With 13 minutes to go, Sterlo officially gives the Emperor's approval and the formal approval for Brisbane to consider looking for the field goal. I would take a bullet for Sterlo. I just, <laughs> I just love him so much. Yeah. But this con. It, how many games have we watched with him on commentary where at some point in the last 15 minutes he tosses up, he asks the question, answers it, and then gives the, you know, like considers it and then answers the question. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. In this, in this case, he says Brisbane aren't the sort of team to take to look for the one point, but it would be a big play even at this stage of the game with 13 to go, to go seven in front. Um Nobody else is the thing, though. Like, yes, he does it, but nobody... Obviously, in close games, someone will say it, but there is never a game where he commentates that he isn't the one to arbitrate when a one point can be taken. Um, Like, it's every game. And I always think the words I always use for it, and, you know, it's not as consistent as if we freeze it there, but the one I always think of is he goes, I just wonder if they might think about the one point here, Ray. I was just about to say, whenever I am watching a game that is... Particularly if it's level with 10 to go or one thing in front by six. I, if I'm in on my own in company, whatever, I will just, I find myself saying, well, Ray, I just wonder if they might think about one point here. And it, <laughs> it feels so good to say. It does. I, do, I only did it to you on the weekend during that, um, the Sharks Cowboys final in, in golden point. Uh, actually. <laughs> I, I know. I might think about the one point here. Yeah. I don't think it's too early. I just, no yeah. one else calls him Ray. <laughs> I know that's the, yes, he yeah. does. Um, he's the only person who says Ray, forty twenty Ray. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm so glad that we went there. I, I had yeah. to mention it. Yeah. There is a thunderous shot on Brad Fittler in the 69th minute that I yeah. can't really describe other than to say Brad Fittler, very, very strong and robust man, 
runs into Glenn Lazarus. Oh, I, I've never seen anyone hit oh, Freddie like that. No, like Fred, Brad Fittler was too big to get hit by like that by anyone who isn't Glenn Lazarus, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And Glenn Lazarus is too big for anyone to run at. Yeah, so yeah. Oh, it's a magnificent shot. He, he's almost too big to hit that hard because when you're that big, you shouldn't really have the explosive power to hit someone that hard. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, the, it takes a bit of athleticism to actually hit someone like that. There's a part and of me that oh. it comes after. You've got to remember this is like as a growing up as a Newcastle supporter. I obviously didn't like Brad Fittler. I now, the more I watch him, like I obviously as an adult appreciate that he was a sensational footballer and probably underrated. Well, almost certainly underrated as in comparison to some of the other people that get talked about and all those things. But as a kid, I couldn't stand him, and there was just a little part of me because this this shot came after two of those left foot steps. <laughs> he threw the left yes. foot up, which when I was a kid watching the Knights was the the peak of danger. Like you, you take a deep breath when he chucks that big left foot step. He does it twice and then runs into Glenn Lazarus who just like pummels him. And there was just a little part of me that the, the child that lives within me was like, yeah, get that into you, Freddie. Step past that, mate. Yeah. It, it takes a fairly big step to get oh. around the brick. <laughs> there you oh, go. Yeah. Magnificent. Um, <laughs> seven, ten minutes to Meals go. The... Stick insects, baby. Yeah. Goodness. Mate. Yeah. Well, that's right. That's right. Uh, ten minutes to go. <laughs> yeah, there's something about that shot that really says this person should be in the Senate. Yeah, <laughs> anyone that's who right. can do that should yeah. be in the Senate. Can I yeah, say? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, the Senate would be a much better place if there were more people who could just, like drop people like that. <laughs> yeah. Ten minutes to go. The Roosters get a penalty, ten out, and and Sturlo he just does this perfectly. The the language, the the, the sequence here. This would be a gift two points for a kicker of his calibre, <laughs> followed by updating people on what it'll mean for the arithmetic of the game. Yeah. When they put this over, a converted it means that a converted try will win the game. That that's textbook. Yeah, it is. It's 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 a very odd can I say it's a very odd kick at goal because they all really back it in. Yeah. But that that margin, it there's ten minutes left and they're down by a converted try. So yeah. they don't need to score twice to win the game. But no. by kicking a goal, they ensure they actually do need to score twice. Mm. You're 20 metres out, and at this point, if you tap it, you need to score once to theoretically not lose. I know yeah. there's no golden point in that error. So, you know, yeah. bravery, maybe you do need to score twice. But to avoid losing, they need to score in this set and kick the goal. So they basically need one scoring play. Presumably their kicker gets it. Here, they make it so they have to do it twice. I mean, albeit it works out very comfortably, but it's... um. It's odd, right, to be down yeah. by six and take the two with ten to go. I thought it was very strange. Yeah. But they took it to go ten six, yeah. Uh, and that means with ten minutes to go, they're four behind. They get to five minutes to go and are still four behind. And then the moment of the match, one of the great moments, like one of the great achievements of human civilization, mm. all of this, five minutes short of halfway, Andrew Walker gets the ball, fake kick. On the blind. That would have been enough for me. Fake kick yeah. down the blind is enough. He he makes a little scurry. On about the 40, hits Junie, who's back on the field inexplicably, despite having an ankle injury, gets back out there, gets it down a very narrow, like tiptoeing down the touchline, <laughs> chips and chases, gets this bounce that, you know, like Larry Myers and the, like Greg Norman chipping out of the bunker into the hole. 
like send Darren Juni down to the new Sydney football stadium on that wing with nobody around him and see how many times he gets that bounce back onto his chest, charges down the sideline, scores in the corner. Rabs does that thing that he used to do about three times a season where he completely just loses his mind and just starts yelling incoherently, Juni, Juni, Juni. And then he says, he just says repeatedly, I can't believe it. I yeah. can't believe it. It's unbelievable. I, he, when he goes down that sideline, it's a narrow blind, and, and, and it's really interesting is that the fake kick here has some impact. So oh, baby. Walker, that's an impact on me. I can oh, tip. Walker fake kicks on a three-on-three blind, and two of them turn their bodies to chase, and Hancock on the wing drops back. Because yeah. it's play five, and he stayed up on the blind, and he drops back. But because he stayed up and then drops back on the fake kick, he only gets 10 metres back. So then when Juni gets it, these two people have just turned on the fake kick. So now they're coming in cover, and he's tiptoeing sideline. And his chip kick not only goes over them, but over the top of Hancock. So yeah. Hancock's dropping back, and it goes over the top of both of them. And he's chasing it along this narrow blind, and he gets that bounce, but he gets it as the next cover gets to it too. Like he gets to yeah. that ball at the same time as the cover, catches it, shrugs the cover off, and then goes over as the next guy comes. And you're right, the, the full quote from Ravs is, it, I'll only do the Junie in the voice, but he's, Junie, Junie, Junie. And then he comes in with, that is a super try. That is, that is rugby, rugby league. league at its best. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And it is just perfect, as always, um, from him. Magnificent. He, 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 in minutes later, starts saying, we've seen one other moment like that just last year and starts talking about the Mullins try. Yeah. Um, which is it, it's not half wrong. Right. Um, it is just one of the most incredible tries you'll ever see. It's, I think... Rabs the most icon- iconic commentary of it's all time. It's one of his best. It, it, it uh, is. It is one of his. It's on the greatest hits album, isn't it? This, yeah, because he yeah. gets it so right, and also the fact that he's from Juni, right? Like it's got this funny kind of cosmic thing to it that this is. You know, yeah. he was a very famous Juni boy, and um, and the crowd is going absolutely berserk, and there's five minutes to go, and it's the Broncos, and it's Monday Night Football, and he goes over in the corner really, really dramatically, and it is the whole thing is just, if you have never seen it, you have to see it. Go and look this game up and just watch the last 10 minutes mm. because it's everything that, when you think of everything that we love about football and the stuff that you, this is the sort of thing that you go to games, even games that you might not be that into, or you what you stick a game on that you didn't don't think is going to be any good on the hope that something like this might happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's fantastic. Oh, it really is. And and it's, um, you know, if someone, or certainly if it happened, like it happened in front of us, for some reason the other day, one of us said Junie. It was a couple of weeks ago, some, like in out of context, someone said, and immediately as soon as you or I said it, both of us have just gone, Junie! And people will still do that, like Absolutely. anywhere around. If someone says the word, people will just break into the Rab's voice almost Which is quite a thing, because it's, this isn't a final, you know, like this no. isn't, this is not Darren Albert, like, it, you know, uh, but it, it's, it's in its own way superb. Oh, it's uh, absolutely fantastic. What, what, what is not superb is Ivan Cleary's attempted conversion from the sideline to win the game, which misses and leaves it at 10 all. Uh, there are three minutes left at this point. Alan Langer, of all people, I'm not quite sure how he managed to do this, but whacks Jason Lowry in the head. And the graphic says the Roosters at this point have got seven penalties to none. Mm. Wayne Bennett, after the game, said that uh, he had never been on the receiving end of zero penalties, that he, he had never been coach of a team that 
received not a single penalty. Uh, but have a cry, Wayne. Who cares? Shut yeah, up. Yeah, referee Alan Langer said. Uh, sorry, uh, <laughs> that's a Freudian slip. Halfback Alan Langer said referee Paul McBlain had been quote hard to talk to. Winning coach Phil Gould refused to talk to print media and gave no reason why. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All of that stands up fairly well. Luckily, <laughs> Gus got over being prickly with the media in coming years and was able to forge a, a good, solid <laughs> relationship with everyone uh, all involved. Yes, the man who gets along with people. That's right. Mm. Uh, that allows the... Gus. <laughs> Gus. <laughs> you I remember he did that in 2004 when he came back after those years out and coached Origin again? Yeah. I think it was 2004. Whenever it was, he'd come back again to coach Origin, like, randomly out of the blue. Might have been 03 or something, maybe. But anyway, yeah. comes back, wins again, and then finishes the series by just spraying all the media that had, like, canned him out before the series and then refusing to talk. Like, orated a speech of basically, like, F all of you and then left for refusing to take questions. It's good that this is, like, many years after this particular yeah. time. I stand by. I think I think he was well with it, especially after a win, too. Doing it after a win is a different thing altogether. Uh, it's really only Ricky Stewart that could be bitter enough in today's game to like yeah. not talk to the media after a win. There'd be some sort of slight. That... Uh, <laughs> but the, the penalty that the Roosters receive here, their seventh of the game to the Broncos, none, allows them to get up the field. It allows them to get into position for a field goal. Andrew Walker gets the ball under pressure in the pocket. He shows wonderful calm to prop and step past the onrushing chasers and then reset himself. You don't often see this. Mm. Resets himself and gets the second field goal attempt away. The field goal misses to the right, despite his good effort. And that mm. means that with a minute to go, probably less, the Brisbane Broncos have a 20-metre tap. The game is going to fizzle to a conclusion. It's going to be 10-all. No golden point, remember. There's no golden point. This is no it. Yeah. This is a draw. 35,000 people at the SFS on Monday Night Football are going to see the points split. But they don't, Gazzy. And why is that? Well, because Andrew G runs out to the 20-metre optional restart. Um, so glad you said optional restart. Yeah, do go on. Yeah. And uh, he taps it with his foot. And yeah. that might seem unremarkable to a lot of people mm-hmm. listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. But at that time, it is a mandatory place kick, which means you have to... I mean, like the, the word place kick is so odd that some people might listen to this and not even know what I mean by that. Because like, it doesn't mean you have to take like a place kick for goal. Like You yeah. have to put the ball on the ground and tow it forward very slightly to yourself like and bump it forward you know, a quarter of an inch and pick it up. You cannot tap it standing up with your foot and, and, and hit it. Oh. it. It's got to be done off the ground. The Johns and, brothers would have been, this is one of the Johns brothers won't run out of the game, Adrian Morley style for all this, yeah. uh, for all their kick tapping. But yes, do go on. Yeah. So he uh, basically, the referee has what can only be described as his moment in the sun. Like referees live to enforce obscure rules. Like I always think that referees, like their proudest moment of the season is when they penalize someone who touches the ball, who didn't get behind the play the ball, the ruck. Like someone hasn't got back on side. Um, if you know what I mean, like you're standing in front of your own ruck, play the ball, guy takes the kid up. They call it the downtown rule. Yeah, and then someone passes back. They live for that, like to to catch someone when they catch someone with an obscure rule, they just get so happy. And this must this was his moment in the sun. So he pulls it up, penalizes Andrew G in front of the post off this tap, and uh, the Roosters have a goal in front with no time. Like you know, there's only enough Mm. time for the kick to occur. Um, Fatty and Sturlow both give a that'll do me, which is really good. Like, ah, that'll do me. You know, that that, that was a real error thing as well. Ah, that'll do me. Um, you never yeah, hear it anymore? This is a very that'll do me incident. I tell you what, it, it, it did me. But uh... Well, imagine losing a game like that. Like, 
yeah. if that happened to your team. Like, I mean, I, I wrote in my notes, this is really funny, eat shit Brisbane, because, like, I hate Brisbane. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> who cares? Like, you, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's hilarious. But if that happened to Newcastle, I would oh, either started a riot or, or you know, driven off a cliff. Like oh no, that. I'd be burning effigies outside the ground. Like, no, no, no. But and I was so I was so sure that um, I was so sure knowing that this happened, but not having watched the game, I was so sure that the referee was going to be Bill Harrigan, and because yeah. this is such a Bill Harrigan thing to do, and it wasn't. Yeah. It was Paul McBlain. Uh, but yes, that's you know, how the game ends. Ivan Cleary kicks a goal and they win twelve ten. I actually can't think of an the most recent example of something like this, like the reaction from the players um, and from the commentators at the time was last year's final series. People remember South the down. No, sorry, before the final series, right at the end of the season, South played Penrith and won a really close game. And Mark Nichols got downtown ruled where he was like off a kick um, and got done for the downtown rule where he was in front, standing in front of the ruck on the kick and went through and they penalized him. And it was a really key penalty and Penrith got it and ended up scoring and they won a really close game. And Wayne was in the, you know, being interviewed after the game. And, and, and what he was saying is there's a hundred of those a year. They never call that. Like it might be rule, but they never call it. So you get these half of this camp, um, including me at the time, just because I don't like Wayne saying like, mm. yeah, um, it's a rule though. So what are you whinging about? But you get a lot of very like completely fairly all the South fans and a lot of people that were just sort of less interested in screwing Wayne over were like, they don't enforce that. Like that, that is ignored. All much, the time. Like, like they uh, never much like jaywalking. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, but th- this is the only time in recent memory I could think of a similar reaction was this downtown thing in Mark Nichols where you were like, okay, you might technically have a point there, but that's yeah. just net. Like there has not been a penalty for that in the last 10 years. Like ever. Yeah. Yeah. And th- there must have happened before, and you've just chosen for well, some reason. Yeah, and this incident, right? Like this, I don't. It's just the players didn't know. It can't have been. If Matt Singh got asked, did you get onto the Matt Singh interview at the end? They, yeah. they did. They did he the didn't know the rule. He didn't yeah. know. Yeah, he's like, oh no, I had no idea. Like he's like, no, I didn't know. I didn't know what his penalty was for. Like none of them had any clue. Yeah, Wayne Bennett said exactly that in 1996 as well. That's in the tap penalty. He said we've done a lot of them. We've never been penalised before. But yeah. Paul McBlain counted, and I don't know where he counted this too, uh, that a video check of his matches this year would reveal no such illegalities. So he was obviously a stickler for the tap off the ground uh, because uh, he he was prepared to back, he was prepared to run on his record, so to speak. Do your uh, homework, Wayne. Yeah, do well, that's homework. right. That's you, right. You're paid enough. Why don't you look mm. up what the referees are doing and do your job? Yeah, don't die with the music in you. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Um, it's, it's just so funny. Like, it's so yeah, if it happened to anyone else, I'd really feel bad for them. But it, yeah, it, no, it is, it is look, they, they do have an argument. I mean, there's something that, you know, you are right. It is right. Like, I mean, you walk across the road in front of police cars, right? Gazzy, the jaywalking you, um, thing. Because it doesn't get, it doesn't get called. You know, you're not going to get pinned. Are you saying you wouldn't, uh, you're saying you, you wouldn't want this to decide a grand final? Oh, it depends if it was against Brisbane or not, really. <laughs> but was it, I mean, if it was against the Andrew G, I'm all for it. Mm. It's, oh, I, I, I it's you're right. What you said at the start is so right. So anticlimactic, mm. but thrilling at yeah. the same time. It, it, it's hard to describe, and like it's it's almost it, it's a shame it happened in the same game. Is that like really the Junie thing should have won the should game. have won the game, not um, this bizarre penalty. The, but it's it, a run, isn't it? Because the, the, the Junie scores, they miss the goal, and they still have like there's still only a couple of minutes left. Like for mm. this to happen, Alan Langer has to like he head high someone off the kickoff. 
yeah. the penalty kick goes down, Walker has to miss the goal, the field goal. Like so much has to happen for this to get in. That's astounding. Yeah, it is. It's a drama. It's a great. It's one of the great last five minutes. Um, um, to include all of that, Andrew G, aka Osha Gunsberg, said, uh, "I should have." Uh, this is this is obviously Andrew G in his pre-Channel D days. Yeah. Said, "I should have given the ball to Kerrod for the tap." We're not blaming the referee. It's just one of those things. So he was very philosophical about it. But uh, yes, do go on. I was going to say, uh, I have a particular favourite rule that players don't seem to know. Um, and my favourite, well, the, the best rule that I think some players miss, and you know, we saw it very recently with the uh, the West Tigers at the end of the game, is that a lot of uh, one of the rules I love is when players forget or don't understand that you can't touch the ball if it doesn't go 10 metres off a short kick or it reverses the penalty. Yeah, even um, if you didn't put the kick in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Jordan Carr, who probably had the most famous one of all time when he tried to score off one. Do you remember that mm, playing for Brisbane? I, oh, I remember. <laughs> I, Gazzy, it will surprise you not at all. <laughs> It was a surprise you not at all to say to to hear that I brought that very ish incident up to someone yesterday at the Newcastle Rugby League Grand Final. So yes, fantastic! I do so remember it. For anyone who doesn't remember it, there's a short kickoff. It doesn't go ten, and Jordan Carr who dives on it and slides over the try line starts celebrating, and the penalty goes to the short kick team. Um, it, it, it is Wonderful. the Tigers did it recently. They couldn't possibly have lost this game. There was only a couple of minutes left, and the guy ran and stood offside and just watched it land on his foot. Like <laughs> it came down and, and it hit him. Um, it, it was just. It's so funny. There was, there was one um, I recently, uh, I think it was uh, Tino, big Tino for the Titans didn't know the rule where they kicked off short and he didn't know the rule about the breaching the plane, yeah. I think it was. Um, he knew about it going past, like actually going past, but not about breaching the plane and managed to muck up the kick because it's Yeah, like, I remember that. Yeah, it, it sort of had and he didn't touch it because it hadn't bounced or something. Holbrook, I think it was, had to cop to it and say that. I think Kamali with the same with that short kickoff said, oh, yeah, they didn't know the rule. It's embarrassing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, there's not many other rules people – that's that's one people don't know and you occasionally get people who don't know that you can stand with your foot out to a rolling ball because that went out of the game for a long time. But I think yeah. there's people out there that don't realise. But it's not as calamitous as the short kickoff one. But yeah, the, and the crowd, yeah, and the crowd still go gaga when um, – Someone has their foot out off a kickoff that's going out on the full, and they drop it. People yeah. still go mad yeah. for that. Uh, Matt Singh is awarded Man of the Match and receives the one thousand dollar check for Man of the Match. Can I just say, Gazzy? Again, yeah. I'm going to go down a bit of a rabbit hole here, but the the the, the, the Channel Nine Man of the Match award was a thousand bucks for at least ten years. Yeah. Now, no inflation. No inflation. Yeah. So the, the 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 real the real value of being Man of the Match in a Channel Nine game. Decreased appreciably over time. Yeah, as as you know, the worth of the game was going up. Exactly, and the audience was going up. It doesn't it's, seem it's right. Doesn't seem right. The buying power of the yeah. of the man of the match award uh, fell off a cliff yeah, over the I, course of ten years. How, how many beers do you reckon got bought with these thousand dollar vouchers after the game? The only person who didn't. The only person who like, bought, how many people you reckon banked these checks? <laughs> I can remember. Yeah. This speaks to the wholesomeness of my of me as a child. I can remember being so chuffed that one night after a night's victory, Andrew Johns won the Man of the Match. He used to do this a bit, won the Man of the Match award and said he was going to donate it to the Cessnock Goannas under, like, minor rugby league. Yeah, good. And that, that, that. You, like, you can just imagine the effect that that had on me as, yeah. a, as a sort of eight-year-old Cessnock Goannas player. It uh, was, like, truly heroic act worthy of anything done by any of the, you know, any of the great humanitarians of our era, yeah. Uh, yeah, or of all history. Anyway, um, that's all we have on that game, I think. 
Uh, Other than to say, and I want to make this point as well, Monday Night Football needs to come back. Monday Night Football is so much better than Thursday Night Football, and I accept that they're both weekdays and that there's no reason to hold that view. But let me, but bear with me, right? Monday Night Football, both of those, football on a Monday or a Thursday is a surprise, right? Mm. It's out of the rhythm of the week, but Mm. it's a positive surprise. It, It brings with it a positive surprise on a Monday because you're in the middle of your Monday, it's two o'clock, you're in an office or wherever you or a work site or wherever you are, mm. and you think to yourself, well, hang on, there's football on tonight. The weekend's supposed to be over, but there's football on. Mm. Thursday night, you come home and put the football on, you're watching it, and you have the surprise of, oh, God, yeah, I'm watching the football, but I've got to go to work tomorrow. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I think I've never thought about it as deeply as you but knowing how passionate you are about it i I did think about it and i can't recall a thursday night game that was that good i regularly it's the only game i skip sometimes as i always like it's the only game i regularly as in on a regular basis decide not to watch um i often do that but mondays i didn't i didn't skip very often and there are some they're not all good but there's there's a lot of classic monday games monday nights we've we've done some by accident already but there's a lot of modern good monday games when 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 it came back in the last 10 to 15 years when they ran at those times there was a lot of um out of the box a couple of times back when when they started doing the schedule for the whole year they inexplicably a few times got some absolute cracking top four yeah. games on a Monday night by accident because Channel 9 didn't know who was going to be in the top four and stuff at the start of the year. Yeah, and you, got, you end up getting some rippers. Yeah, um, some really mad stuff. The, I mean, the classic in recent times, both of the Roosters, Rabbitohs in that mad year where the both yeah. games were finished on the on the, on the the full-time siren. Both of those were Monday night games. But it just it hits it you differently. in Melbourne one on a Monday once as yeah, well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It was too. The, my, my theory is this, Gabby. Monday night football is a continuation of the weekend. It's a last little bit of the weekend. Yeah. Thursday night football is a false start to the weekend. I think I think there's something to that. I do. Now you mention it because the. I mean, I've been at, at work today to Monday, mm. and and you know there'd be nothing more thrilling than in the depression of midday Monday of going. Hang on, I'm only if I get through the next couple of hours, I'm going to watch football. Um, I think there's a lot mm-hmm. to that. I, I you know, it, it's. I'm I'm backing it. I've thought about it. I've come to a considered position. You. And I'm glad I'm you've thought about it. Bring back Monday night football. Bring back Monday night football. It's 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 a it's a it's a beautiful thing. Uh, it was always a thrill. Up with Monday night football. Down with forty three minute highlight packages. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely right. Uh, I'm glad that we've been able to cover all of that, guys. Have you got anything to add? No, not really. I think that sums it up nicely. <laughs> Finish on a high. Been a long one. If you've made it this long, I commend you. Uh, I, I absolutely commend you. And if look, if you're listening to the podcast and inexplicably are enjoying it, uh, chuck us a rating on whatever uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Uh, that would be lovely. And look, and and you know, and 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 tell your friends. You know, go say to people, listen. You know, I I found this fantastic podcast. There's these two blokes, these two idiots that quite clearly have fairly serious personality disorders, talking about you know random matches from the mid '90s, two hours at a time. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> Um, I, you know, by all means, do that. That would be we would appreciate that. Um, but we we hope that you've enjoyed this journey through uh, Sydney City Twelve, Brisbane Ten, on the eighth of July, nineteen ninety six. Until next time, cemetery listeners, it's bye from us.